Well, coming off a uh, a made-up long weekend, our very own long weekend, I almost hesitate to step on the toes of Ayla Brooke and the sound men there. The, just uh, some fabulous, would you call it plucking? Would you call it plucking? Is that plucking? A, it's like it's like finger plucking. Yeah. Finger, it, was a, yeah. it was a banjo, right? Wasn't it? Or like something like a banjo? There was a, there was a banjo in it's there. It's not your standard yeah. six-string acoustic guitar that we were hearing there, I don't think. No. Beautiful work. From the album Desolation Sounds Off Fallen Tree Records, we remain grateful for, for Ayla Brooks' donation of that tune, of that album, essentially, for our use here on Real Talk. A good Tuesday morning to you. It's June 15th. Ryan Jesperson back in the chair. It's great to be here. Sarah Hoyle sitting across the plexiglass from me. We won't be able to say that for much longer. I'm sort of starting to feel like things are starting, although I've had this feeling before. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There, I've been tiger. optimistic before. But now now everybody's offering, uh, you know, all different kinds of reasons and incentives to get vaccinated, including one we're going to talk about in just a second. Of course, this show, you know, is presented by the team at Bitcoin. Well, our presenting sponsor, I was talking to a buddy over the weekend, just huge on crypto, and he's like, man. He's like, I've got so many angles on what you need to cover on your show. He's like, I hear some of the the pushback and the protest from some people that aren't big on crypto. They're not big on Bitcoin. He goes, some of the conversations you're having, he goes, we need to dig even deeper, man. He blew my mind on the magnitude of what this crypto story is all about. When I have questions like that, I take them to the team at Bitcoin Well, and I advise you to do the same. Try to make sense of everything right now. Everybody's got their strong opinions on crypto. Right? It's either a joke or it's the entire new way. And if it's not a joke, you're going to want to know more about it. And if you think it is and you want to hear a counter argument, I mean, let me tell you something. They love the tough questions there. You'll find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So, yeah, we spent the long weekend uh, hanging out, did, did a little bit of wheeling. And I'm going to be showing you a couple of photos later on today. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm inserting our family photos into positive reflections just because I can. Uh, but there are also some amazing videos and other submissions from from those of you that have been out and enjoying the great outdoors. We have uh, a video coming up from Brad. His sister is just hammering away on her road bike, and he tells us exactly why she's so motivated. It's a wonderful story. James has a couple of photos of his kids doing something that I think everybody does. Maybe not everybody. Some some folks have like smell sensitivities or things like that. But but if you walk past a lilac bush, it's a pretty standard move, I think, to stop and just bury your face into the lilacs, isn't it? Sarah Hoyles, you look up absolutely appalled by this suggestion. Really? You can't you can't stand the smell of lilacs? Stink, stank, stunk. Wow. Samuel G. Brooks yourself. I, I am surprised. I have a like lilacs. I have a lilac tree in my yard. I I love the smell of it, and I just find it unruly. So like I'm constantly pruning this thing. Oh, like, they are. You know they they like yeah. You know, the lilacs are great. They the only just, thing about yeah. the lilacs is that they they only last for so long. And then they get brown and, and, and then shrivelly. they get all they get all yeah. gnarly actually. Yeah. But when lilacs are booming, they're uh, beautiful. I just don't want to smell them. They smell. Really? They smell. They smell like like say it cat piss. What are you talking it's about? It's like it's like um if that's what cat piss smells like, I'm adopting a cat I'm in. and I am not litter box training it. It can just move all over the Oh my gosh, we're 4 minutes into the show just absolutely off the rails right now. 
Really? It's like I cilantro, s- how some people are like, it tastes like soap. Yeah. Well, Apparently, there's like a genetic thing at play there. Well, maybe that's what this is. With cilantro. So yeah. I'm just genetically It might just be that your superior. genes are a little bit broken, I was no, going to say. I, like I would a little say bit superior. twisted, like you're experiencing some sort of a breakdown, obviously. <laughs> Um, so James, so that's in positive reflections, which has come up. We have a lot to catch up on. I'm going to be totally a hundred percent honest with you. I did, uh, what I, so, so there were a few things that I would like to, I would like to open this show with a confession. And then we're going to talk to Richard McCall, who's a foreign correspondent. He's the host of the very popular Columbia Calling podcast. As a matter of fact, as soon as uh, we tweeted that he was on this morning and then we're grateful, he retweeted that he was on. All of a sudden we're already hearing from people that are like, this is my favorite podcast. This is an amazing podcast. And at first I was like, yeah. And then I realized they were talking about Columbia calling, not real talk, but that's okay. We're bringing these two podcasts together. We're going to learn more about what's going on in this, uh, this, this country that's seeing serious protests, obviously some, some uh, pretty extreme police response to some of these uh, protests, which have been described as peaceful protests. We're going to dig into it with Richard. Who's there on the ground. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit later on today with Pamela Roach, who's an assistant prof in family medicine, director of the indigenous uh, director of indigenous health education at the coming school of medicine, university of Calgary. Pamela has got a great perspective. We're continuing our conversation on indigenous health education, indigenous healthcare, and Alberta's curriculum. There's kind of a uh, scenario here where a few of the topics that we touch on with our ongoing conversations, our ongoing coverage are swirling together here in in sort of one uh, in, in one arena. So we'll look forward to that conversation with Pamela Roach. That's coming up. And then uh, Kathy Dabris, Dr. Kathy Dabris, a family physician out of Victoria. We wanted to get we realize it's been maybe a little while, at least relatively speaking, since we've spoken about vaccines, um, not in particular some of the general stuff. Uh, some of that where you go, yeah, I'm pretty I'm, I'm pretty into it I'm, I, in the sense that, I, you know, I watch the news. I pay attention to what's going on. I try to stay on top of things. I subscribe to real talk. I download real talk and listen every single day. I kind of feel like I know what's going on. Vaccines are safe. I feel confident about it. But there are new things coming up, right? It seems every time I talk to somebody about vaccines, you find out someone says, well, have you got your second shot? Well, I just found out you don't have to have the same manufacturer, right? For your second dose is your first. And I'm going, what? Wait, what? So we thought it might be time to get caught up on the news, a bit of a vaccine Q&A that'll be coming up with Dr. Dabris in in approximately, you know, uh, we'll call it an hour and a half from now ish. Uh, So if you're, you know, on the live chat, it'll be an opportunity for you to ask questions of the good doctor. Of course, you can also take a look at our hashtag, which is the real talk RJ hashtag. Use it on Instagram and Twitter and uh you know, we'll take questions through the morning. You can send it to us whenever, and, and I'll look forward to that. I'm, I'm hoping that we get a couple of curveballs, um, you know, a couple of questions from folks with vaccines that maybe they go, hey, you know, here's something I've been thinking about, but I haven't heard any of this on the news. I have no idea. Uh, Dr. Dabris is, is, has been doing a ton of work, um, part of a campaign called Victoria Family Doctors Counter Vaccine Hesitancy. So, She's seen it all. She's heard it all. And we look forward to that conversation. We'll get to some of your emails today. And we've got a lot of catching up to do. I promised. Uh, oh, I said I was going to open with a confession that I didn't confess. I could tell by the look on your face. You were waiting for it, weren't you? Bated You're like, Buddy, yeah, see what you do is like you tease and then you get everybody on the hook. And, oh. and then you go through and you say, here's all the things we're going to. And then you bring them back. Right. So I this see is what you're doing. Here's my confession. I was a little bit negligent on a few things that fall in my lap that are my duties over the course of the weekend. And I'm getting judgmental looks from my team members because what? they because they know it to be true. On Friday, it was my responsibility 
to be down in Calgary at a very specific time because I was receiving the keys. I was receiving the keys to my 1992 Jeep XJ. We have just had a new transmission put in. This after all the rear suspension brakes were done and a brand new, not brand new, rebuilt motor. Ah, ah. We're talking the four liter inline six, all the bells and whistles. This thing is, I mean, if you want to see what it looks like, you should be following me on Instagram. You see it right now. You can go take a look at it and see. But I had to be down to get the keys. Super excited. So this weekend, I'm, I'm breaking in this new motor. Like, we're, we're wheeling the truck that has risen from the ashes. It's been parked in a farmer's field for, for almost two years now following a catastrophic engine incident. Uh, so I had to be down at that time. What did this mean? Well, I'm not on my laptop and I'm not on my tablets or my devices while I'm driving. That's a non-starter. Well, obviously, you don't. I want had, to you know, I'm just, we're just trying to pump our tires here and, and remind everybody to not text and drive and all that kind of stuff. I got down to Calgary and immediately had to hit the road. And the whole time, I'm thinking I have these clips pulled from our broadcast, and I'm supposed to be promoting the show and I'm supposed to be pushing this stuff out, but I just quite frankly didn't have time because my priorities were not the thousands and thousands of people that watch our highlights, rather. The five-year-old boy sitting in the seat behind me, Wyatt Rudy Jesperson, my beloved son, the light of my life. And we were going to get out so we could get in an evening wheel on the Friday night, kicking off our homemade long weekend out in the foothills, the beautiful foothills, Kananaskis country, the what has somewhat become a bit of a controversial area, McLean, McLean Creek Provincial Recreation Area. This is the one spot you remember that's exempted from the new Kananaskis user fees. So that's we've been going out there for 25 or 30 years. And so so this is where we we're at. And then no reception. What am I supposed to do? Wyatt says to me, Dad, is there Wi-Fi out here? I said, there's no Wi-Fi, kiddo. We're off the iPad. We're off the phone. So I'm sitting here, and then and all of a sudden, I'm realizing the Real Talk Sunday message. Literally thousands of people subscribe to it and email every single week, letting them know what's coming up on the show. Well, what I, did, I didn't have time to do it on Friday. I can't do it over the weekend. I'm going, oh, my gosh, they're missing the Sunday message. So now we've got our clips not out. We've got our Sunday message not out. And then at some point, I just had to release myself of it all. And I had to just say, you know, someone wrote us an email and said, hey, just in case you guys are catching. This is what real talkers are just absolutely incredible. Somebody sent us an email and said, hey, just in case you guys are taking some flack for your homemade long weekend, we wanted to let you know. Did you see this email? We wanted to let you know you have our support. We're glad you're recharging your batteries. We think that's great. Now, of course, I didn't see that till later because I was, you know, not in range. But so I mean, so, the, the, so the guilt and the the shame was just it was kind of marinated. It was uh, I would say of 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 with the weather that we had this weekend, mm. it was it was the only cloud in the sky was the guilt and shame cloud, and I could feel it. I know you were sending it up. I could feel it. No, I was not. Anyway, you so, don't know me, Jespo. So, so I don't apologize <laughs> for spending time with my family in the great outdoors, but I do kind of apologize for not pushing out clips, for not writing the Sunday message. What I did do, what I did find time to do was to shoot a little exclusive to our patreon supporters this morning uh so you know what's up in your inbox right now uh there's a beer set to drop this week and our patreon supporters have advanced access to it so we're going to talk about that in just a little bit i mentioned the hashtag real talk rj it is powered by the team at park power you can find them online at parkpower.ca internet electricity natural gas is their game Big community players, too, which we absolutely love. I've told you before, it's one of the reasons why we reached out to them and said, we got a partner here. Kindred spirits, shared values, all that kind of stuff. 10% of their profits go right back into the nonprofits in the communities where they live and work. The promo code 2021-REALTALK means 70 bucks off your first bill. No strings attached. 
at parkpower.ca. Also, big shout out this morning to the team at Friesen Brothers. I want to remind you that Father's Day is coming up in less than a week. And Friesen Brothers has you covered with their stores in Stony Plain, Fort Saskatchewan, and Edmonton. They've got these Father's Day barbecue boxes. Highly recommend them. Trust me. It takes care of basically your entire Father's Day plan from breakfast all the way through. You've got to order it in advance so you can check them out online under the Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. Plus, BC Cherries now in store at Friesen Brothers. Oh, the entire team here is just look at this. A a visceral reaction to the news that BC Cherries have touched down. all year for that. Oh, yeah, man. And you know, Friesen Brothers, proudly Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned. But one of the smartest things you can do in Alberta is get your hands on some BC cherries let's be honest Friesen brothers for more than 65 years all right let's take a look at what's going on uh, down in Colombia. If, if you've been paying attention to the news i don't have to tell you mass protests across the country it seems based originally on some changes to the tax structure coming out of covid19 but of course there's more to it than that richard mccall is, is a long time anglo-canadian based in Colombia, where he spends his time reporting from bogota overseeing uh, his small hotels as well i want to learn a little bit more about that business he's the host of a very popular weekly podcast entitled Colombia calling launched as an independent podcast what what is it richard something like eight years ago you've been doing this for in the podcast world you are an og my man you've been around for a long time thank you so much ryan for having me on the show and thank you for these kind words but yes i mean the columbia calling podcast it's a tiny niche show nothing oh, like come yours on. at all oh, come on <laughs> it's it's flattering to hear such words but you know i go out to the market that wants to hear about columbia so it's you know, it, it, we go out to to our people. There's no uh, mass coverage, but uh, it goes out to the people who want to hear about it. And it's it's been fun. You know, it's been fun. It's kept me sane during this COVID period as well. So, you know, the weekly the weekly updates are always fun. Mm, Richard, you you uh, obviously this is where you live and work. Um, before we get into some of the specifics about what you're seeing right now, the root of these protests, where you see this going, how change is being impacted. Uh, what is it about Colombia that, that drew you there? I mean, people that people that that I've spoken with, friends of mine that are originally from Colombia, when they have an opportunity to talk about this country, their faces just light up. It's a beautiful spot. Well, I have to say I've been in Latin America for around 18 years and Colombia now 14 or 15 years. But Colombia has always been, it's a phenomenal country, uh, despite, you know, obviously the the justified and unjustified reputations that it has. Obviously, uh, you know, the, not the great news hits the, the headlines about Colombia, but the people here are very special and incredibly resilient to, to what is going on. And I think for me, that was very attractive. And of course, as a journalist, a freelance journalist, I have to say, you know, it, it, it was always, there was always something to do here. There was always something to, uh, I, as you say, it's sort of like a blank slate. And that's what I ended up uh, buying colonial houses in this small town and restoring them to create tiny hotels, uh, create a economic stimulus. It's, it's, Colombia has been kind of divorced from an international community for so long that there was just, you know, this is a country that offered opportunities and has such an educated, uh, you know, educated young uh, generation that want to help and, and, and want to move forwards. And that kind of leads into what we're going to talk about a little bit. Yeah. Now, and that's why I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about Colombia, because I know that there and, and when you talk about, you know, a, a deserved or undeserved reputation, justified or unjustified, I mean, I think for a lot of people, 
people, you know, when you say Colombia, people think, you know, Pablo Escobar and they think of all the movies and they think of all, you know, this that, that's how the country has been portrayed in many ways. The, the, the drug and gang violence side of it. There's also just this wonderful country with these amazing people and, and absolutely stunning, by the way, uh, landscapes um, with regards to, you know, the social fabric and the, the strength of programs and, and the context of, of poverty and health care and these types of things. Uh, you know, this has been your project, your storytelling project through the course of COVID-19. Have you seen some of the, the social issues, so to speak, or maybe the social justice issues become uh, larger issues and, and more subjective conversation as a result of the pandemic? Do you think that was one of the contributing factors to what we're seeing now? Well, yeah, there's a few there's a few um, issues that have, have risen, Ryan. Uh, the pandemic, of course, has exacerbated an existing situation in the country, that of inequality, corruption that is so rampant, impunity surrounding corruption as well. You know, you've got your your elites and the polit- political class who, who t- t- tend to get away with everything. But it also dates back. We're not just protesting. The people here are not just protesting this government and its sort of response to the COVID pandemic. They're protesting 40 years of governments. That's that's a big difference. It's It's been pent up. It's as if we've had everything in a dam until this moment. But do you see, we had protests back in November 2019, which were held on pause with COVID. And the government had said they were going to have a grand national conversation. That was their actual title for it, to address the concerns of the youth, because it's largely the youth. I'm not going to say students. It's largely the youth that feel that they have no future here in the country. No, uh, let's say, uh, they've got no work security, you know, no security for their future education or anything. So um, the these, these protests in 2019 were huge. And then we had this grand national conversation, which came to nothing. So you have a government that's strong on rhetoric and, and then, you know, no action. But what you're also looking at is, as you know, and as you're talking about the violence, and of course, we had a long running civil war, which of course is not over. But in 2016, a peace accord was signed with the largest guerrilla group, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or FARC as they're known. And that took out like a universal figure of hate and fear. And it was always like the bigger picture. Anything in Colombia is like, well, yes, we have, to, we have to focus on the FARC. We have to focus on this conflict. With that no longer in the picture, people are now acknowledging that there are ordinary things that you and I take for granted being from Canada or the UK, ordinary things like healthcare, education, communication that people want. And, and that's what we're seeing now. We've got a young generation with nothing to lose and no fear. Is, is there a sense that, uh, well, I mean, this is a purely opinion based. This is I'm asking for your opinion. Um, do you get the sense that these protests could push this government to act in meaningful fashion or the demands realistic is the government open to it what's your assessment it's a tough one because you have a strike committee with only one youth member on it so it's kind of like a bunch of old guys not representing exactly who is out in the streets you know representing maybe the teachers union and maybe the transport union and so on but the government themselves only have one more year or slightly less than one more year in their mandate and the president is constitutionally prohibited he can't run again so anything that happens now is all with one eye on the elections in may 2022 and so we're looking at as things shuffle around and no 
one uh, presidential candidate will want to be seen as soft at this moment. And the state, the government themselves in power, have treated this social, legitimate social protest as an issue of law and order. So that will be one of the main campaigning points that we'll see in the coming months, is that uh, the party that wants to be seen as strong and law and order. So I don't know how much will actually happen. The government has sort of, it hasn't seeded on certain things, but it's just sort of decided without, uh, you know, without conferring with the strike committee or the students, all right, we'll do this. And it's like, well, surely you should be speaking to the people. Surely you should be going out and, and, and you know, find out what is going on and why they're so angry. And as yet, this hasn't happened. How would you how would you compare? I mean, Richard, uh, you know, as best you can with with neighboring nations or in this region, Latin America, how would you compare, uh, you know, Colombia's economy, uh, Colombia's prospects, uh, employment or unemployment, uh, housing and homelessness? Uh, where does Colombia stack up as compared to its international neighbors? Well, right now we have an unemployment level here of 15.1 percent. So that's pretty high, yeah. you know, several million people uh, in a population of 50 million. But we can't make comparisons particularly with Venezuela, because what has happened in Venezuela is it's, it's gone into economic freefall. And, yeah. and we, don't, we don't genuinely know what's going on because the press is, is limited in what it can report. And of course, we know that there's pretty much no reaction to the COVID uh, pandemic there, no, no uh, vaccines or so on. So we don't really know what's happening. All we can tell you is that Colombians and Venezuelans cross the border, Colombians who live in Venezuela, to work in Colombia every day or to, to do whatever they can to then return to Venezuela with a few uh, pesos in their pocket. In terms of, uh, in terms of economy, the economy here is obviously, you know, it's, it, it's in decline. But Colombia has had a strong economy for a long time. We never really had a recession. Uh, that, it's due to extractive materials. It's due to money laundering as well, being put back uh, from the, uh, obviously, the uh, uh, industry of illicit goods coming out of Colombia. It's quite a conservative country when it comes to the economics. So we'll see how it develops. Um, we are losing certain trade ratings because of the, the response to COVID and because of what's going on. And of course, the social protest never helps. Peru, uh, neighboring Peru is obviously in all sorts of difficulties now due to the elections down there and uh, Keiko Fujimori, the runner up trying to well, she's crying foul of the elections. And of course, you've got Castillo in who's supposedly left wing, but seems to have some some bizarre right wing tendencies as well. Uh, and Ecuador. Well, I don't really know. I couldn't really know what's telling you what's going on. And Brazil. Well, that's another story altogether. So Colombia, we, I, I can't really say it's the most positive time for South America right now. Yeah, it's it's wild, Richard. I, I mean, I remember back just as, as a young man, we called ourselves Los Toros and we, we traveled for about six months in South America following our university graduation. We were down in Peru. Uh, well, we flew into Ecuador like like mid September of 2000. So that meant we were into Peru in you know October November. This is right when Alberto Fujimori was Fujimori was I mean the IMF and the, all the protests there in Lima. I remember it was it was wild. Uh, it 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 it's it's a hell of a thing to be around all of that and and to understand the ramifications of this. I mean, this is a general population coming out um, you know distraught and furious. 
about in in some cases uh, actions of its own government or economic instability or, or what have you. How do you process this as as, as someone who's now down there? you know, calling it home. You've been down there for the better part. You said of 15 years, you're a hotelier, you're an entrepreneur. I mean, you know, personally speaking, what do you think your future looks like and how do you wrap your mind around what you're seeing on what I'm sure is a daily basis? It's, it's a hard one, isn't it? I have two children here, but we're very stable. Um, but I, I find myself conflicted. Of course, I've got passports for other countries and we could up and leave it, but I owe something to Colombia too. You know, mm. that I've worked very diligently and honestly here and got a large family network and, 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 and employ a fair amount of people who, who are, it's just, I mean, I love it here. I love, I love this country. I love the people. I love what I've been able to do. So I, I, I'm obviously sticking it out for a while. Um, but it is hard. It is hard. But of, and of course, on the tail end, I say tail end, we're still in the third uh, peak of, um, of COVID here. But it is hard after having had the hotels largely empty for over a year. And I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not Hilton. I've only got 17 rooms between the two small hotels. But it, it's hard. And we've, we've done our best to survive. And we are surviving. But as you say, on a, um, on a daily basis, we see protests. The most violent, uh, let's say, aggressive protests are fizzling down in a lot of the cities, but there are still hot points, uh, hot spots for these things. And you just, you worry a little bit, don't you? It's like uh, how the authorities react. And that has been one of the main issues uh, over this when the protests started on the 28th of April, is that there's always an element of, of aggression, not only from the authorities, but from protesters too. There's sort of like a, a, a militant cadre of protesters, yeah. uh, potentially infiltrated by uh, trafficking gangs and uh, potentially infiltrated by the other um, guerrilla group, the uh, National Liberation Army, ELN. Potentially, at the beginning it wasn't, and there was no proof that this was being done. But as the uh, protests continue, of course you're going to have people taking advantage of a situation. So you sort of wonder, where do we go from here? And of course it's been a case of great reflection on my part. This is, uh, I mean... I'll acknowledge this letter, this or this statement rather from, uh, you know, Global Affairs Canada, uh, Minister Mark Garneau, Minister of Foreign Affairs. Uh, this is back in May 9th. Canada concerned about persistent violence in Colombia. Um, you know, Canada deeply saddened by the loss of, of life and injuries in Colombia over the past week. Again, this is May 9th. Canada condemns the violence, including disproportionate use of force by security forces, urges that the violence cease. You know, we're concerned about acts of vandalism attacks directed against public officials. Canada calls upon all those responsible for road blockades to allow the free passage of goods and services essential to fight the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, an adequate response to you. How did you assess that at the time? And, and what role would you see? I mean, mo the majority of our audience obviously is, is tuning in from Canada. What would you I mean, this is a story, Richard, to be quite honest, that I think the majority of Canadians, if you said what's going on in Colombia right now, or what's your opinion of what's going on in Colombia? I think I think a lot of people might say, what do you mean? Uh, to be quite honest, um, what's your assessment of, of maybe what an appropriate Canadian response might look like? And why do you think that this story isn't leading the headlines like it might? Well, I mean, there's so much going on at the moment, isn't there? I mean, if you look back a few weeks, I do have a piece in the Globe and Mail, so it, it is there, but it's not um, it's not covered to cover. And it, is it really Canada's uh, you know backyard? I don't I don't think so. It's not really something that's of of great importance to Canada. I mean, each country has their sort of network, doesn't they? And, and but. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, it, it should be more reported. Obviously, I'm here. Obviously, I'm biased about that. Colombia is an important uh, trading partner for a lot of countries. Um, and the police brutality is something that only with international intervention and international pressure will change things here. That's one of the realities. And the, the government here only allowed the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights to come because of the pressure from the international press in Europe, North America, and so on. And that's the truth. There's my piece. There we go. <laughs> um, and it's, it's one of those things. It's like any weapon, even if they're called, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, non-fatal non weapons, can be fatal. I mean, that's the truth. And, and depending on who you read and who you believe, the government is saying 20 deaths. Uh, Human Rights Watch, who released a communique last week, called it egregious use of force against protesters. They've, they've uh, confirmed 30, 40 deaths. And if you read local NGOs here, it's around 70 deaths. And of course, two policemen as well. There, you, what, you have a really big problem. You have a really big problem, and it stems from the conflict. And it stems from the fact that the police force here is under the mandate of the Ministry of Defense because the police force was used as another type of army in the civil conflict which has been running since 1964 in Colombia. So they are not prepared for social unrest. They are not prepared to be like a, a force of vigilance in the city. They go at these protests as if they were, you know, defending national sovereignty. And that's one of the big problems. And a lot of protesters are out there. And this is what happened consolidating the protests is that young students have died. Young men have died in these protests because of excessive force, the excessive use of force. Richard, we, we were talking that um, I'm, I'm about to take a topical hard swerve here, but then I'll bring it back. Uh, but I, I, we were talking a little bit uh, a few days ago here on the show, a few episodes ago about El Salvador and what's going on with cryptocurrency there and, and, and not just making it official legal tender, but also, I mean, l looking to utilize some of some of the energy coming off volcanoes to mine Bitcoin. I mean, just really, I'm going to call it wild stuff, really out there stuff. But but people are saying, look what it's doing. To El Salvador, potentially, it's got people talking there, you know, political leadership there saying we're looking to draw Bitcoin entrepreneurs here. People are able to purchase citizenship there. I've heard it's something like three or four Bitcoin. If you want to purchase citizenship, you can instantly have citizenship there. And people are saying this could be, you know, the beginnings of a new economy there in one of the, in one of the poorest countries in the region. Uh, this could provide some economic hope or some economic stimulus. And, and there's a deep dive you can do there. What's going on in Colombia right now where you say, hey, th this is something or that's something where, where either Colombians or international investors might see promise? Where do you think the future of Colombia's economic and, and social health lies? Well, yeah. First, first on El Salvador, just quickly, I, I don't know enough to really comment about it. Of course, I do worry about the authoritarian nature of the of the government. Totally. There, though, of course, um, people uh, are saying yeah, about the Bitcoin story. People are saying, let's it's not like this guy's a good guy. <laughs> That's, no. Yeah. Uh, and it does feel a little bit like, you know, it's, you know, it's smoke and mirrors there with this kind of announcement, because how much is I mean, what is the El Salvadorian uh, you know, economy based on? I do not know. I cannot comment on that. But in terms of Colombia, Colombia has natural resources in not only sort of areas of outstanding uh, national beauty and, of course, of great importance uh, economically. So as soon as we get on the other side, 
let's say, of this COVID pandemic. This is the sleeping giant of tourism, of ecotourism. Uh, and I know that people in Costa Rica are incredibly worried about uh, Colombia waking up from all of these years of slumber as a country in conflict because it's just incredible here. I've written guidebooks about the country and you can do anything here. It's, that's the truth. But the other thing I would like to mention is, of course, is the medicinal marijuana market. And there are companies now sourcing that. And I do believe Canadian companies are quite involved in the medicinal marijuana market here in Canada, in Colombia. I don't know a lot about it, uh, but I can say that that's happening. And there are people, it won't happen for decades but there are people trying to say well how about legalizing you know these illicit goods not only uh you know medicinal marijuana and marijuana but also cocaine we need to start rather than legalizing it regulating if we can start regulating we can start organizing these things we take first of all the cash flow out away from the cartels and from the gangs and so on but we need to have this conversation so we've got to and that's obviously this is there's so much money involved that this entire industry infiltrates every level of society and only the other day there was a, a, a plane taken down on a Colombian island near to Nicaragua which was belonged to someone up in the high society and of course they're saying oh well I, I borrowed my, I lent my plane to someone else do we really believe that and do we really believe that was the first flight the former ambassador the Colombian ambassador to Uruguay had three cocaine labo laboratories found on his family farm and he claimed not to know about it. So to, we need to have a greater conversation about what's going on and where the money comes from in Colombia. Richard McCall. By the way, what are the names of your hotels are in? How, how do you say this? Mompos? Is that how you pronounce it? That's right. It's a tiny town uh, that's, uh, well, five hours south of the Caribbean coast of uh, like where Cartagena. It's on the Magdalena River. So it's a, a perfectly protected, isolated colonial town that really evokes the images of the literature of Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And it's just something that's so magical that... Well, you know, I invested there and bought these houses when Colombia was bleeding. And now, it, well, you know, despite 2019 and 2020, we were doing incredibly well. <laughs> What's the what are the names of your hotels? We want to pump your tires. If, if, when, <laughs> when people you. are able to travel internationally again, where should they come stay? Well, you said that I've had guests from Fort McMurray. So there yeah, you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, but uh, well, the, the top end one is called the Hotel San Rafael. So you can find that www.sanrafaelmompox with an X.com. And we opened that at the end of 2019, just in time to enjoy the pandemic. And then the other one we opened in 2008, which was called, it's called La Casa Amaria, which is a more mid-range hotel there in Mompox. So we've got for everyone. There you go. And that's, you can see, very nicely decorated, very carefully restored to maintain the ambience and the originality of the uh, colonial architecture. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm already I'm, I'm picking out my uh, poolside chair here. I'm just trying to decide where go. I'm going to sit. It's, it's been too long. It's hot. Yeah, it's hot. Well, okay. hey, it's, that, it's hot. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got all the time in the world for that. And I know that people, right. so, some people, myself included, are pretty eager to be able to travel again and start exploring the world. In the meantime, we will stay tuned in to Columbia Calling. You can find that at columbiacalling.co. Uh, Richard McCall there, uh, independent, a freelance journalist and podcaster. And of course, as you learned as well, an entrepreneur. Thank you so much for your insight here. We really appreciate your voice on this. Um, as you present yourself on your website, the English voice in Colombia, we're grateful <laughs> for your perspective. 
Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I just a thank you to all the listeners in Canada. I have great friends in Montreal. My father was from Winnipeg. My my half-sisters are in Kelowna. So there you go. Really? <laughs> oh, there you go. Hey, actually, before I go, this is what I always, this is my move, not on purpose. I wrap interviews and then and then I start the interview again. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I have to ask you this in closing. I don't, I'm not sure if you know. So we're coming to you from our hometown of Edmonton, Alberta. And in and in Edmonton, there's a, there's this private group. This is, they, they're called the Prairie Sky, uh, the company Prairie Sky Gondola. They want to put in a gondola privately financed and privately owned to span the North Saskatchewan River and and kind of do what the high level bridge did, which is tie together Strathcona and Edmonton north of the river more than 100 years ago. Uh, Drathax is is asking me and, and I've heard this many times. As a matter of fact, I was I was involved back in the day with the gondola mm. project. Everybody talks about Medellin and how their their uh, metro cable commuter cable uh, gondola system has, has really sort of set an example of how urban gondolas can work um, and how they can actually be utilized, how it's not just sort of a publicity stunt or a fad. Um, have you mm. seen it? Have you ridden it? Do you have any opinions on on the value of an urban gondola? gondola yes absolutely now medellin is a special circumstance because of course it's a very progressive uh, city in that respect and also uh it's it's a it's a u-shaped valley so of course you've got the the high rent areas and then you've got the the walls of the valley where where what we call invasiones or more like shanty towns and these gondolas these metro cavalies have have connected the poorer neighborhoods to where they work in the sort of better healed neighborhoods. So it's been a real, uh, I mean, it's been a socially, uh, you know, accepted and socially quite inventive uh, manner of connecting the city. And so it's, it's very cool. And in, uh, in Bogota, we have them as well in the far south of the city, of course, and completely imitated from Medellin. It's, a, it's an excellent solution or part solution, because of course, how many people can you carry on a metro cable? How many people can you put in gondolas? But for the time being, it really has created a certain degree of urban regeneration and social involvement in barrios, uh, neighborhoods, which were formerly overlooked and, of course, ignored. Hmm. Good stuff. Uh, Richard, thanks again so much for your time. Uh, have a great week. You too. Thank you for having me on the show, Ryan. You got it. That's Richard McCall. He's, he's the founder and the host of Columbia Calling. I encourage you to subscribe to that, uh, most especially if you're interested. I've never been to Columbia. Has anybody in this room ever been to Columbia? Sarah, Sam, you've been? No? I've got to get down there. Was, people talk about the beaches in Columbia, like some of the, um, you know, I mean, people use this, people overuse world class, but if you take a look at images out of Columbia, um, and, and obviously Richard McCall has a pretty informed perspective on that. We're going to be talking about Alberta's curriculum. We're going to be talking about healthcare, indigenous healthcare. We're going to be talking. I've seen some questions already coming in as well. Uh, your vaccine questions. That's that's our, our segment coming up in about 50 minutes from now, 45 minutes, maybe with Dr. Kathy Debris out of Victoria. Uh, I've got to talk about this vaccine lottery in just a second. But really quickly, let me remind you that the teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge are very proud to bring you Alberta's best selection, bar none, of the Jeep lineup. And that includes that brand new Wrangler 4xE. This is the the Wrangler EV. I've driven it a little bit. It's an absolutely amazing experience, almost completely silent. It's a dash switch, like how you might switch over from two-wheel to four-wheel drive. You just pop it into electric, and then off you go. It's really amazing. 
Of course, they're also looking forward to that Grand Wagoneer that's coming out this year. This is the Jeep re-entry into the luxury market, going head-to-head against the Escalades and all those other rides. The Grand Wagoneer, you'll find the best selection of them in St. Albert and at Sherwood Dodge. The team at Eden Landscaping, their teams have been busy over the past uh, number of weeks, of course. This is their prime time, turning dreams into reality, backyard, front yard spaces. Whether you're listing your home, your realtor keeps talking about curb appeal, or maybe you've just picked up a new place. Maybe you've built a new house, but the builder's giving you some pretty lousy or maybe super expensive options on landscaping your space. Steer clear of the cookie cutters. Look up the team at Eden Landscaping. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com or directly go to landscapeedmonton.ca. The team at Eden Landscaping has been at it for more than 20 years. Sarah Hoyles, the producer of this show, of course, keeping an eye on, on, on what's making news. And over the weekend, I didn't see it. I was off my phone. Fantastic. No notifications, no dings, no prompts, no check-ins. I'm hoping it brings down my average screen time for the week so I can feel better about it. But Alberta's premier active over the weekend. This is a new what's this vaccine lottery everybody's talking about. So on Saturday, there was a big announcement. They were saying, hey, we're going to do three, count them, three uh, draws for a million dollars each for folks that are getting vaccinated. So the first one closes. It says closes soon. (laughs) It's about it's basically about, you know, percentage and where we're at um, as far as cases. So but. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. Breaking. So, um, yeah. And then the next one closes on August 24th. And then the next one closes on September 23rd. And uh, they're saying that they're going to be checking in and, and double checking with AHS to see, yes, are you in fact, you can you can register once, enter once, and they will be checking with AHS to just verify that, yes, you have been vaccinated. Okay, and what's all the controversy about? So I I saw some people were saying, so the deal was like, you know, people thought if I got vaccinated six or eight or ten weeks ago, why am I not entered in the draw? And then there was some miscommunication. Now it turns out everybody's entered. Is that basically the gist of it? Was this this kind of... much do about nothing is this a good what, what, what's your well, sense the, the of what funny, the funny thing was is they didn't actually have a lot of details okay. published they were like don't worry don't worry don't worry don't we'll worry figure it out we'll figure it out we'll announce it on monday okay and so now looking at their website there's way more fulsome information which is great it's good to see that there's deadlines and eligibility and contest periods and prizes and Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But I think the the main the first communication piece was, hey, if you haven't been vaccinated now, now you should because you're you're up for prizes. And so it was kind of like, wait a minute. So you're not actually rewarding the folks that you know were proactive and took this seriously and yeah took the initiative to get the vaccine. We're only going to reward folks that have been vaccine hesitant. Uh, so that was I think that was the main criticism coming okay. out of the gates. I see. But then they've since amended it or clarified, I think is the word. Sure. And, we'll, we'll say clarified. OK. Um, I, I saw that our pals Bunsen and Beaker, uh, the the, uh, the the science canines, the science dogs, you know, the, out of out of uh, beautiful central Alberta have they tagged me in this. Uh, I just saw this now forget a million dollar lottery for getting vaccinated when we hit 80 percent vaccinated, say Bunsen and Beaker, we will head to parks in the summer for pets, hugs, selfies in fancy hats, science we will bring all the dogs we can find to and maybe some yamas. 
some llamas they're going to bring. And, and here we have Bunsen and Beaker, just uh, such good dogs, just such good dogs. 14 there, out of 10. There you have it, 14 out of 10, such good dogs. I think uh, Bunsen, the name Bunsen Burners is a Bernese Mountain Dog. I think Beaker, Sam, do you remember correctly they were on the show before? In a way, they're human was on the show, but, but Beaker is a... Beaker's a girl, I think. I was going to say some good that boys, but I think Beaker's Beaker a girl. Is a girl. Yeah. But they're, it's a platonic, she's a baby. It's a platonic relationship, as we understand. It. They cohabit. It's kind of like Three's Company. Nobody really kind of, you know. But will they? Won't they? Will they? Won't they? What's Rachel going? Rachel Ross. You yeah. know, yeah, Mr. Furley. What's what's <laughs> going on? What's the deal with him? Uh, so there you have it. I, I uh, okay. On first glance, maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. I just and, and again, like when I get off the trail, like when we're you know we've got the trucks back up on the flat decks and we got the trailers all loaded up and everybody's heading home and hitting the highway, uh, you know. And then when you first hit reception, your phone's like ding 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 ding, ding and it's not like the Vegas slot sound where you're like yeah, it's more like uh. So the last thing I was going to do was go on to Alberta Legislature Twitter and find out what everybody's absolutely furious at right now, and that's not taking away from people that are justifiably angry at government that's not taken away from that but i just thought there's something about this vaccine lottery people are pissed about something this uh, you know honestly you know what my thought is on it and maybe i'm missing details and again i got back at one in the morning and i woke up at six and i just showed up here and tried to get up to speed so maybe i'm missing something kind of like the idea i i, I kind of like do you say incenting or incentivizing i would say incentivizing Incent. You hear people say incenting, though, right? And you you incent with an incentive. Well, yeah, and if sure. you're convinced by, it, you're incensed to do something. You're incensed. Yeah. And you are incented. I, I, I think this one works either way. Yeah. Well. Or so so well. You know whatever whatever it is. You know incentivizing or otherwise. I think that it's actually uh, first of all three million bucks. Again, people will clip me just saying this out of context. Three million bucks is nothing. It's not nothing. It's a lot of money, but it's also nothing. Right. Three million bucks all in is like, what is it? Seventy five cents per Albertan all in. Now, that's a pretty overly simplistic way to look at it. But but I, I, I'm not sure the criticism, you know, they're throwing cash at everything. To me, if a shot at a million dollars prompts the, I don't know, five to 10 percent of people that are hesitant right now to get a vaccine, for whatever reason, I'm not talking about hardcore anti-vaxxers. I'm talking about the people that are, as we would call them in any other political polling or any other political context, the undecideds, right? The ones that have not yet planted their flag, the ones that personal friends of mine, I'm tempted to use your names, but I love you, so I won't. But the people that are saying, I just still I don't know. And my uncle sent me a video from Facebook and then Facebook took it down. And why would Facebook be taking the videos down unless they had something to hide? And 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 it was developed quickly and it was rushed. And I heard this story about a guy that got sick and I'm just going to take more time. And I just don't know. I don't want forks sticking to me. And yeah, and, 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 and I don't know. I don't want 5G and all the other stuff like a buddy of mine who's. You know, mom, I have adored for many years and is a wonderful lady. I'm not going to say his name or hers or even what city they live in, but she's gone full blown bananas on 5G and vaccines. Wow. And she's otherwise an extremely and very reasonable person. Uh, and so I just kind of for me, these are the folks that could take us from whatever because Alberta seems to have hit a bit of a plateau right now with, with regards to vaccines. Right. First doses. 
And whatever it takes, if you can bump like 5, 10, 15% of the population to take that step by investing 3 million bucks, I mean, to put, to put it into perspective, you see all these government ads when the government buys billboards when they run ads on YouTube, like, you know, before you're watching Real Talk or, or your favorite cat video, and all of a sudden the government of Alberta ad comes up, or you see targeted advertising on, on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or where hat, you know, wherever. Um, that costs money and the government spends money on public messaging and public health. And to me, if it works, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. I, yeah, I mean, I agree. We're the second province to do it. Manitoba uh, was the first one to launch an actual lottery. I mean, I think some of the criticism that I've seen is, well, you know, we had Ralph bucks. So why do we need to do three uh, million dollar prizes why don't we do a thousand dollars and you know spread that money around everybody thinks that till they're the one that wins the million but also how are how is the winner going to be chosen i think again, that i think there's some cynicism around yeah how is this winner going to be picked who's, look at this it's a donor out of south calgary no who knows and, and maybe hopefully that runs through the aglc or something like that i mean i wouldn't put anything past anybody but you never know but the point is just to me if everyone says we got to spread that prize money out equally first of all uh, no as 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 mentioned earlier if you do the math and again it's lazy math because someone will say well ryan's taking the population at approximately four four and a half million dividing it into three million you know, turns into 75 <laughs> so, well as Just far as i know it. kids kids aren't paying taxes jasperson you overly simplistic pleb and all these types of things uh but if you're going to spread the money out e- evenly you know like uh, you know what is it 75 cents a person like go get your vaccine and get your 75 cents no one's doing that no a million dollar you know, Albertans love their lotteries. Look at the Edmonton Oilers 50-50 draw. Once it was opened up online, once you have to buy tickets at the game, it was opened up online. You notice every single game is like a quarter million dollars. I mean, and some of them are well over a million. And Albertans love lottos. They do. They love the, they love the opportunity to, to get not just Albertans. People love it. It gets people's attention. Can you imagine all of a sudden you get a phone call and you got a million bucks because you did the right thing and. God, if I, I don't I, I honestly unless I'm missing something I don't mind it I I, I guess I'm just uh, annoyed at just watching all the money going out the door constantly especially from a government that says that they are fiscally conservative well fair 100% and I think that's a completely not a different conversation because no. this is an expenditure but again, like if we're going to talk about $30 million a year to some idiotic war room or three million bucks one time that that let's say gets 75 or 200,000 more people vaccinated, I, you know, I, I just to me, there's a lot of things that government spends money on. A lot of them are really ridiculous. And some of them, I think, can can have the potential to do something and. And maybe this one can. I, I'm I'm wide open to, to hearing other perspectives on this. Obviously, I would like to on the record state that Jesperson has called one of Jason Kenney's ideas a pretty good one. And I think that word should spread on the on the Alberta legislature uh, Twitter hashtag uh, measured, balanced, reasonable commentary. The trademark of real talk at Ryan the show is right here because our partners like the team at local waste 
have been with us out of the gates and continue to sustain the growth of and the journey that's happening right here. These conversations, including opportunities to blow off a little bit of steam. The trash talk on Friday, one for the ages, I felt. It just means the bar has been raised for this coming week. If you have something you'd like to rant about, you know what to do. Send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com and we'll consider it. For the wrap-up to our broadcast week, that's coming up, of course, Friday, right before we say goodbye. Already thinking to Friday. The beauty of a short week. The beauty of a short week. The team at Local Waste wants to remind you, entrepreneurs in Edmonton, that there have been some shenanigans going on when it comes to emails from some of Local Waste's competitors. If you've recently got an email about a change in service, a new company trying to extend your waste management contract and it smells fishy do what you should do every time something stinks and you want to get to the bottom of it get rid of it get it out from underneath you call Mikel, lauren or chris at local waste they'll help you get out of bad contracts integrity one of their core corporate values also big shout out today to the team at grand dog essentials we've told you that our dogs eat quality raw food and it's because we were searching for solutions to digestive and other health issues for literally years we found grand dog a few years ago worked with their team of nutritionists and we have not looked back sure doesn't hurt that they delivered to our door as well if you're in edmonton calgary or central alberta you can have the same experience plus with the promo code real talk at grand dog They'll take 10% off your first-time order. Dr. Pamela Roach is an assistant professor in family medicine, director of Indigenous Health Education at the Cummings School of Medicine at the University of Calgary. She recently wrote a piece for the Canadian Medical Association Journal, and we're going to get into this, the potential health and social effects of Alberta's draft K-6 curriculum. Dr. Roach is Métis, originally from Manitoba, a member of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks for making time for us this morning. No, thank you for the invitation and thanks for having me. Uh, doctor, before before we go any further, can I can I ask this is uh, I'm not sure if you're expecting the question or not, but we're talking about this vaccine lottery that the province is rolling out in an effort to get more and more people on board with this. Do you see something like that at the surface level or, or deeper than that as a good idea, a troubling idea? What's your assessment of it? You know, I, oh, I, it was funny when you mentioned the Oilers 50-50, I don't totally bought tickets for the Oilers 50-50 draws. Um, but I, I think what will get vaccines into arms is good. I think there was some, some maybe not great communication on being able to enter. And then, you know, when you win going to get vaccinated, because in theory, that could just mean we vaccinated three people who are now millionaires, um, as opposed to getting lots of people to go get vaccines. Um, so I'm hopeful that maybe... It might encourage enough people to to go get vaccinated to keep our communities safe, and really, that's what's important to me. Hmm. Doctor, we're, we're we're grateful that you've made time for us. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, we want to talk to you about this draft K to six curriculum. I know for a lot of families, this is probably the number one thing on their radar outside maybe of COVID nineteen. But generally speaking, when it comes to their children's education, I don't think people care about anything more than they do about their kids' health and their kids education now you have a really unique perspective on this uh, considering your role as director of the university of calgary's indigenous health education we've been having conversations about uh, indigenous 
indigenous healthcare, uh, systemic racism in healthcare, some some of the deplorable history of some of the so-called healthcare. We won't call it that at, at residential schools, former residential schools. We've had those conversations last week. Before we get into the curriculum, I'm wondering if you can set the table for us for this discussion, your assessment of, of some of the systemic issues in the context of indigenous healthcare across this country. Yeah, absolutely. So I looked primarily at the social studies curriculum and I do happen to have two elementary school age children uh, in Alberta schools right now. Uh, So particularly personally important, but also just really important when I think of the bigger picture. And so the draft curriculum was released right around spring break for everybody, which I thought was, was lovely timing, considering the stress that teachers and parents had had to deal with this year. Um, a lot of us obviously spent what had hoped to be our downtime, um, you know, really pouring through. And just in the social studies curriculum alone, I think I had like 150 little PDF sticky notes with notes to myself. And I think when we look at, at racism, I saw a lot of racism in the curriculum, but when we talk about racism, there's different types, right? And so it's not that there's explicit slurs in the, in the curriculum or, or that there's, you know, encouragement of, of actionable racism, interpersonal racism is what we call it, but there's a lot of deeper racism that we're trained to not see. And those are things like um, referring to Indigenous people only in the past tense. And so when there was, there was details around, you know, the contributions, ongoing contributions to society, those were framed from Euro, uh, you know, ancient Rome, ancient Greek, what are their ongoing wonderful contributions to our contemporary society? And there was really nothing that framed Indigenous people as people who are, you know, sitting in that classroom, teaching those children, operating in these school systems, in society at large, and that creates a, a societal look uh, or narrative. And it just creates this, this understanding of Indigenous people that we see perpetuate harm throughout all our systems. And part of that even, you know, we look at, at the school names, that's been a hot topic. Um, the Calgary Catholic School Board here in Calgary is still not making a statement on changing the name of Bishop Brandon, despite the news out of Kamloops, despite the news out of Brandon, despite the news out of Saskatchewan, um, they're still pushing back on it. And what that does is privilege one worldview over the real tangible ongoing harms that Indigenous people experience. Hmm. They can uh, on, on that Bishop Grandin note, I, I, I've been led to believe that there are bigger conversations happening because they're expecting sort of with regards to the Catholic schools, a sweeping rebrand of several schools that bear that name um, of that former bishop. I'm not sure, but I, but I will say this is they they can either rename it uh, voluntarily or otherwise. But I, I have a sense that as this this groundswell continues, that there's a, a pretty limited appetite for that name to remain stamped up on that southwest calgary school people people that are you know paying attention to our lineup today or people that are downloading this podcast are going to go hang on a second but like what what's what, what's a, a prof in family medicine out of a school of medicine at a university doing talking about social studies curriculum uh, where where do you find the synergy there pam yeah absolutely that's a great question and so uh, as an educator in higher education um who also who also teaches around indigenous health part of my work is to increase the safety for Indigenous people within our health system. So my research is in health services um, and it's in our medical education as well. 
And so when we look at, at what prompts medical learners who will be future doctors to want to work with Indigenous communities and who want to, to learn how to work in good ways to improve the health of Indigenous people in those communities, um, we see a big influence in those choices is their socio-political views of Indigenous people that are formed before they even get to university, before they even get to undergrad. So those views are formed, sure, through families, through parents, um, through society, and a huge piece of that is the education that we actually get in school. So the, the, the more epistemic, that's the kind of racism I was talking about, that deep racism, um, the more of that that's, that shapes learners' views, the youth, the views of youth, uh, the more work then has to be put in to try to disrupt those really biased, racist views um, in order to, to be able to see that, that Indigenous patients are, are people, um, quite frankly. And we can see there's no denying the fact that there's a lot of harm that comes to Indigenous patients within our systems. And there's been multiple cases. Um, Brian Sinclair died in a Winnipeg hospital emergency room waiting room um, because he was ignored. Um, Joyce Eshaquan was murdered um, in Quebec uh, in, fall, in the fall of 2020. And that, that whole trial is just ongoing. We've all been seeing that and witnessing that at the same time as hearing about all of these children that have been found at the residential schools. And then we have, even in Alberta, we can't deny that it's here, right? There is a woman in Hannah, Alberta, who died on Boxing Day because she wasn't receiving treatment um, and she's a First Nations woman. And so those, those attitudes and those really, really real devastating impacts come because of the, the stories that our society tells us about Indigenous people. You know, parents are going to be watching this or, or you don't have to be a parent, I don't think. I mean, to hear your assessment of this curriculum as racist, uh, people are going to say, well, hang on a second. I mean, if, if that is indeed the case, uh, there's no way that this can be tolerated, let alone taught. Right. In other words, like as a parent myself, I'm going to go, I'm not going to have my child subjected to this um, when it comes to the racism that you see. Um, this is I, I'm realizing this is an extremely loaded question, but let me just ask it on purpose because it demands an answer. Do you think it's intentional or otherwise? So we do know that there was indigenous cons consultation in the development of the curriculum. Um, those people that were involved in their consultation have since come out to say, you did not listen to me. You didn't listen to our guidance. This is not what, how we told you that you should be including Indigenous voices. This is not what Indigenous inclusion looks like. And so to have that um, and to completely ignore it uh, is not only completely disrespectful, particularly for the time of Indigenous people and elders who were involved, but also it's, it's hard to feel that it wasn't intentional. And when I think about the people who are included in the writing of the social studies curriculum, uh, the, the editor of the Dorchester Review, and I'm sure by, 
by flagging that, I may be making myself a target uh, for for some of the fans of that. You're talking um, about Chris Chris Champion is who you're talking about. I am. I am. Yeah, who's a residential school denier who uses quotation marks around the world the word survivor, uh, and actually those quotation marks did make it into the curriculum. So bearing in mind there will be the children and grandchildren of residential school survivors sitting in Alberta classrooms who are having their families' experience completely erased and devalued is unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, let me just reiterate and circle back to point out that I, I read that twice uh, in your piece. Again, we're talking to Dr. Pamela Roach, the potential health and social effects of Alberta's draft K-6 curriculum. Um, you, you can read the full piece at cmajblogs.com, cmajblogs.com. The fact that there are quotations around the word survivors when you're talking about residential schools, to me, is appalling. It's abhorrent. It's disgusting. I mean, this is past the point of, of somebody having a, you know, we'll agree to disagree type scenario about some, you know, smear on our history. I mean, this is, to me, absolutely unacceptable. So where do you see this going? I mean, in, in my opinion, I've said I, th- I think that I think that the curriculum is going to be one of the major Uh, I mean, I think that that's an election issue two years from now because it's the type of thing that endures. Right. This is, you know, you can take a look at the government and say, well, COVID-19 by 2023 will be a a distant memory and the economy will be bouncing back. Or you can take a look at some of the other things, you know, maybe the shutdown coal mining in the Rockies and and maybe walk that back. And people have short memories, which is true. And it'll feel like that'll feel like ancient history. But the curriculum to me is a, is a bit of a different story and not just that there's not been meaningful consultation. I mean, you talk about Grand Chief Billy Joe Labucan saying he felt like the, quote, token Indian on the consultation process. He has withdrawn his endorsement of the curriculum. The government either walks it back because it acknowledges that it's a disaster, you know, a plagiarized, uh, shallow disaster, or it pushes forward on this, which is even worse. I mean, what do you think the implications are? Uh, I think the implications are huge. And I, uh, as an Indigenous mother whose Indigenous children go to school, it makes me sick to think that despite the fact that I think it's the high 90% of of school boards have rejected it, that it will be pushed forward in 2022 regardless. Um, And I think even with the news coming out of Kamloops that has been very traumatizing, very distressing for many people, um, and the ongoing news, we know that there's going to be more. Um, and I still continue, despite that, to see the government defending this curriculum and pointing to, no, we included we included conversations about residential schools, but they didn't. They included conversations about American boarding schools, which is what they were called in the United States, um, not Canadian residential schools and only starting in grade five. And the TRC calls for the government at all levels to include this teaching from kindergarten. And so I think the implications are for, for so many reasons. Um, there's, you know, there's lots of, of, of elementary school educators uh, who, who don't feel that it's developmentally appropriate. There's factual errors, um, but the implications for the ongoing harm for indigenous people, for people to, to you know, learn this, the fact that the word traitor is still included. I grew up in Alberta. I remember learning that my ancestors were viewed as traitors by the government um, and I hated it. And then I was expected to get up in front of my class and talk about my family tree, right? Like that's, it's so harmful to indigenous people. And the fact that it's still there means that these views will be perpetuated, which means that in all of our systems, our social care systems, 
our healthcare systems will continue to harm and kill Indigenous people. Michelle in our live chat says people need to realize that just because school boards, the majority of them have said no to piloting this curriculum, the government will likely still ram the curriculum draft through. This is still a big issue. What do you make of Alberta's education minister, Adriana LaGrange, claiming that she's being bullied through all of this? Uh, I I think asking for feedback and accepting it um, is not really the same as being bullied. I think, you know, I... I, as an educator, I get feedback all the time. Um, I don't feel like if my students are unhappy with something that I'm doing, that that's bullying. I feel that she has asked for feedback from parents, from teachers, from school boards. She's received it, and I don't think it's what she wanted. And I think that's not bullying. That's just people really genuinely concerned for their children's education and for for having to teach to, to teach this curriculum um, that is, that they're not comfortable with. Uh, so I, I would say that it's it's not bullying. It's just not the feedback she was hoping for. How how early? I mean, we, we it's it's very interesting to me to, uh, you know, the government, you, you've said residential schools, uh, the curriculum touches on that for the first time in grade five. Um, what is that about? Uh, if I remember correctly, that's about three years after kids have been learning about Genghis Khan and the Silk Road and 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 the establishment of different levels of government or different styles of governance around. I mean, it's just absolutely mind blowing. Um, but uh, what would an age appropriate focus on Canada's history, the federal government's history with indigenous people, including things like residential schools, the 60s scoop, et cetera, how early do you think students should start learning about this? What does age appropriate content look like? If you were drafting it, if you were designing it, what would it look like? So, you know, so first of all, to answer the, the when does it start? Um, kindergarten, I think. And I, this is this is said in response to those comments quite a lot. But at Kamloops, there was children as young as three years old in that in that grave. And if my children are old enough to know about it, um, if Indigenous children were old enough to be taken from their families to be put in residential schools, then children are old enough to learn about it. Uh, as far as age-appropriate content, there's lots of stuff out there. There's a lot of books, a lot of children's books by Indigenous authors that, that could be included. Um, orange Shirt Day happens every year, so I don't understand how we're going to have Orange Shirt Day and not talk about it. Um, so I think there's a lot of ways that we can talk about it. My own children are in grade two and grade four. And so we've always talked about residential schools. And, and my son, who's in grade two, um, is very aware of, of what they mean and can have these conversations. And it doesn't mean that you talk about every single thing that happened um, when they're you know six or seven years old. But it means that, that they understand that for the, the sheer reason that these children were Indigenous, they were taken from their families to try to, to no longer be Indigenous, right? Um, so I think that that's a, that's a bigger conversation. And I, I certainly see that there's a shift. Uh, more of the, of the university students have know more about residential schools than perhaps a few years ago, but many people don't. I have, I have many sort of friends and, and people that I know who are adults who don't know anything that the number of people who were shocked at the news from Kamloops um, means that that we're not doing a good enough job at large in society of telling these stories what's one thing doctor that you would like to see 
nationwide um, as a result of of this. Do I say an epiphany, an awakening? I don't know what uh, it, every word I use to describe these 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 grisly and horrifying discoveries at former residential schools across Canada as we all brace ourselves for more, uh, or at least a very uncomfortable and important process over the next number of years here. It'll prompt conversations uh, about many different things, I think, including, you know, things like community resources for for First Nations communities. I think we'll have conversations on what justice looks like. I think we're going to have conversations about, you know, things like water and nutrition and mental health supports for remote northern communities. And there are so many conversations that need to be had. Um, what's one thing that you hope that you're really paying keen attention to that you hope is impacted change wise as a result of this? I'm going to say national mourning because that's what it feels like. What do you hope to see? Uh, well, I hope to see some honest conversations about Canada's history. Um, I think we can all recognize that we live in a society. Um, and, but I, I guess like the, the, everything that we have came at a, a very significant price for, for certain groups. So I want people to, to take that, you know, they feel awful, people feel guilty, they feel ashamed, they feel distressed, but take that and don't just feel guilty and ashamed and distressed, act on something, read the TRC and see which calls speak to your life. So if you're involved in sports, there's sports related calls to action. If you're involved in your kid's school, read the calls to action around education. There's something in there that everybody can act on and to really, really be led and listen to indigenous voices, right? We, we know that people have been doing, we had the Royal Commission in the nineties, we have the TRC, it's there. People have been speaking out for decades. Um, and what we need people to do is actually just read it and talk to people and act and and realize that they're not, you know, feeling guilty about it doesn't make you the center of the story. What we need to do is create better systems. So we need to create better better education systems. First Nations children's education is chronically underfunded, right? Which then impacts if we think about how to improve Indigenous people's health, which is is what I'm I lead to. Then we need, you know, we we need more Indigenous healthcare professionals. But to do that, we need to be able to have well-funded educational systems for Indigenous youth um, where they can access and feel safe coming to post-secondary, where they can feel safe doing high school diplomas, where they're supported um, to, to do all of these things. And we're led by the needs of community and by the community's voice, not not by what a Western institution thinks they should be doing. Dr. Pamela Roach is director of the University of Calgary's Indigenous Health Education Assistant Professor in Family Medicine at the Cumming School of Medicine uh, at the University of Calgary, obviously a member of the Métis Nation of Alberta, originally from Manitoba. You can read her piece in the Canadian Medical Association Journal uh, published April 27th, uh, again, at cmajblogs.com. Anything, Pam, just in closing, have you, have you, has your opinion changed? I mean, April 27th, you, you put that out there. This is more than coming up on, you know, six weeks ago. Um, has your opinion changed on anything since then? I should have asked you that first. No, no, uh, not at all. Not at all. And I think the, the defense of it, I think if there was a willingness to say, hey, we screwed up, um, let's revisit this. Let's try to figure out where, where we can improve it. But it's just been a, a constant defense and I've not seen improvements um, and I've not seen a willingness to change. So it, for me, this is it's very, very risky and very detrimental curriculum to implement. Dr. Pamela Roach, thanks for your time. It's great to have you on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's kind of a that's kind of an ongoing theme, right? Like, 
if, if only this government would have acknowledged that the, the lack of consultation was harming the end product and would have walked it back and, 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 and humbly acknowledged that to Alberta citizens, then you kind of smirk and go, uh-huh, yeah. The team at Westworld Computers has this studio powered, and they've been powering workplaces and private residences for more than 40 years. A family-owned business going head-to-head against that big box store. I'm talking about the Apple store, of course. Westworld's got the full Apple lineup, the full Mac lineup, and of course, their team of service techs have seen it all over their more than four decades. You've got to, whether it is your your MacBook or your iMac or your iPad, just not performing like you know it should, or maybe there's a full-blown technical catastrophe you can book your appointment right now at westworld.ca or walk right in there if you end up going with a new unit they'll transfer all your data over free of charge you can learn more at westworld.ca the team at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park have let us know that they are ready for the onslaught they're ready for the flood of real talkers that are going to be hitting them up for the father's day cakes that's right the father's day cakes heading into this weekend five dollars off so long as you drop my name jessica or mention real talk at the dairy queens of palisades nemeo newcastle westmount y gardens and baseline road five bucks off your father's day cake which includes the layers of vanilla soft serve chocolate soft serve in their famous cookie and fudge center that is what i hit up i attack it like an animal i attack it like a lioness on the serengeti looking to feed her entire pride that is me on the dairy queen cake do you split it so you can get the cookie crumble first it's kind of i feel it's like an oreo everyone has a different approach it is there's a different approach to it um, we should we should specify and clarify that oh no Dairy Queen has Oreo for the blizzards and stuff like that we can oh. keep it going I thought perhaps I should end the official uh, the official promotional spot to begin promoting for free another product no 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 but Dairy Queen you can get the, the, to me the Oreo blizzards so I realize I'm it's op- the OG it's the OG I'm opening up a can here but the, the, as far as I'm concerned the Oreo blizzard is where it's at I had it you know there's the Oreo there's the Oreo double stuff right everybody familiar with the double stuff uh no. What? Oh, Hoyles, that's just me. That's not even the cool. That's not even the part I'm telling you about. The Oreo double stuff is like what it sounds like. It's like double the stuffing, double of the white stuff with between those two chocolate. Co- you know, the Oreo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's the double stuff. Now there's the mega stuff, the Oreo mega stuff. And I was like, how much more mega can you get than the double stuff? It turns out there's a lot of room for improvement. <laughs> the only difference is with the Oreo mega stuff. If you get the bag, you're, you're going to note that you get much fewer cookies of course because there's that much more but it's kind of like it feels like almost like a tripled up anyway all of this to say go get your father's day cake at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park speaking of dairy queen cakes so i do think that there are different ways to eat them and one of the things i'll acknowledge is that you have that with the dairy queen cake you have that the the exterior everybody knows around the perimeter they have that whipped cream that kind of goes along the bottom and then you have all the stuff on the top like the colored icings Mm -hmm. and things like that and people like i don't care about any of that stuff that to me is only a barrier that must be overcome to get to that chocolate fudge center that's me so if i'm like i'm i'm kind of an interesting if you pay attention, if it's like a late night party with mostly adults there yes. and there's a Dairy Queen ice cream cake and then everybody else has lost interest and walked away, I will be the guy still at the table hammering away at that Dairy Queen cake. We don't want it to go to waste. No, and it's melting. So yeah, you got to get to it. You got to get to it like right freaking now. So I see this email in my inbox, talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's Doug and it says, Ryan, I'm glad that you had a good break. I cannot agree with you less 
on the lotto vac is that what they're calling this the vaccine lotto the the vaccine raffle it's a raffle it's not really a lottery nobody's buying tickets well people are you know making the play on words from lotto max to, to lotto vax lotto vax yeah. i think that's brilliant good uh doug says had there been a consistent and coherent message from government regarding masking and vaccines this lotto would likely not be required says a requirement to show your vaccination prior to admission to the stampede could easily address the problem yeah but doug that's not gonna happen for a million reasons he says i do agree with you that it's 75 cents ahead if you were to just reward everybody nobody's motivated perhaps if vaccination lag is a problem use data to identify who's not getting vaccinated and focus there if it's young adults then maybe free tuition or gift cards supporting local businesses yeah but he says finally if jason kenny and his liquor cabinet which is my most favorite thing of all time could actually use the public service to develop strategies to address issues as opposed to the current incoherent seemingly impaired thought process policy and action could be put in place that the alberta public could easily support so welcome back we missed you and he says, and I'm thinking this is not the last you'll hear about this UCP gong show. Cheers from Doug. Where does where does he really? I mean, free tuition like where do, free to how many people like all of a sudden well, this goes? Well, all of a sudden this goes from a three million dollar incentive to a three hundred and fifty million dollar incentive. No, 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 no. You just look at if we're targeting. So we actually take the data. We have the data. Who's yeah. who's getting vaccinated? Who's not? If it's not university aged folks, then make sure that it's you know there's a there's if you are a full-time returning student or maybe you're you're enrolled at a university then we will pay for x number of tuitions for oh, up to three million dollars no, so that's a lot of tuition that well, is yeah. a lot of tuition well, sure it is but then what about all the other people that are like, like what about all the other people i don't no, think we, it's first would, of all i don't think it's young university students that no, are not getting vaccinated that was an example but right. i mean we're not what we're saying is it's not like a shrapnel type uh approach where we're just like we'll just see who this hits who knows that's the best part to do it that's the no, best but if way we to use do it data, no but if we use data then we could actually do a targeted approach and it would be it would be more focused and uh effective <laughs> this is this to me is is a shotgun approach that i think i mean am i am i coming across as like the pro-government guy here i just i don't understand like if you want to say well let's have incentives so it can be like free tuition well that's what a million dollars will allow you to do i mean i think like a million dollars whether you say like who is vaccine hesitant now this is painting with huge broad brushes okay huge broad brushes but who's not getting vaccinated like people that people that that have you know hesitancies around these types of things as is right so you got that crew you've got the crew that that worries about things like they're injecting 5g or they're injecting microchips or you know these planes flying ahead or you know you know they're you know what's the word i'm looking for again the chemtrails and the fluoride in the water and you've got those kind of quite frankly looney tunes um and then and then you've got the the crew that's kind of like the the uh you know otherwise reasonable but they've got somebody in their ear chirping at them and misleading them um, these are a couple of my friends whose spouses are doing unbelievable damage and and we've recognized their spouses to be mouth breathers on pretty much everything else. So I'm not sure why they're getting any credibility on videos that they've sussed out on Facebook. I've said this a million times, a million times, but I just I need to pick the brains. We should do a documentary. I need to pick the brains of people that honestly, for whatever reason, believe that the smartest doctors immunologists virologists 
and researchers in the world have not had the thought the thoughts not occurred to them to go on Facebook and to search these videos like the like these people have done the digging and done the research and they've turned this up where they're all of a sudden the the, the years of, of, of experience and the medical expertise and all these types of things like doctors that I heard from a buddy the other day my buddy Clint his dad just had a successful surgery he's had a tremor and they went in and the doc went in in the back and, and as his dad stayed awake so he could talk to the doctors through this neurosurgery, they cut a two inch by two inch square out of the back of his skull, popped it open in Clint's words, like a jack-o'-lantern and went in there and installed a probe into his brain. And they were talking to his dad because it was obviously this is very sensitive stuff. And so they're saying to his dad, OK, can you feel this or what impact is this having on you? They said, you're going to they said, don't go. Don't panic. You're going to lose your sight for a second. Boom. He said it was like the lights went out. They prodded this one little part of the brain. And the lights went out and then and then lights came back on again and this, that and the other. And now he's got this little this little unit. I mean, not like a pacemaker, but something like that embedded under his skin <laughs> in Clint's words, like a half deck of smokes. So that gives you a size of the size of it, uh, a sense of the size. So I like Clint. It, oh, Clint's a beauty. Um, Clint's rig is shakes which is the big white dodge you can see the photo of it if you check out my instagram post from today about the family wheeling trip but clint we ran into him out there and just this is where i learned about his dad's surgery i was thrilled to hear it i have a vested interest because my dad's got a bit of a tremor and we're all curious about this type of stuff so anyway the point of this is to say we have uh physicians and surgeons and researchers and basically the smartest people on planet earth that can go in and, and cut into a skull and poke and prod around a brain and install something and solve a tremor. And we have researchers that can attack cancers at, at micro levels. And we have, you know, um, you know, designers and researchers that can go in for people that have lost limbs or experienced amputations and come up with these prosthetic limbs that are just unbelievable. And, and we have all of this advancement and all of these amazing, mind blowing things. And yet drunk Uncle Larry found a video on Facebook and figures that he's smarter than everybody. And, you know, I mean, the, one of the classic ones we heard about this weekend. Well, why hasn't why does anybody think there hasn't been any common cold? Why does anybody think there hasn't been the flu this year? Huh? Anybody think that that's a little bit suspicious? Yeah, dummies. Everybody's wearing masks and isolating and hand sanitizing every 30 seconds. Why the hell do you think that has like I mean, I just to me, it drives me absolutely crazy. So you're going to touch that with this shotgun approach. You're, you're, you're going to hit those folks where, you know, all you need is is that tiny little prompt, that one little thing where you go, hey, I'll tell you what, a million bucks. You know, this is I'm kind of on the fence anyway, a million bucks. Sure. But then what do you have? You have you have some folks in rural communities that are adverse to this because, you know, at the coffee shops or talking over the fence. You know, you've, you've got those conversations where I don't know. They're not getting it. I don't think I'm getting it. Plus, we haven't seen a lot of it in our community. You've got evangelicals, right? I mean, there's going to be a ton of evangelicals that will write in right now and say, hey, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Let's not treat us unfairly. But I will say anecdotal, anecdotal evidence based on what I'm seeing, even in my personal friend circles, that is a reality like it or not. And I'd be happy to have that conversation with anybody. I mean, and I could list 15 or 20 more communities or more groups that I think are vaccine hesitant where I think this could work. I don't think that we have this big, huge thing right now where it's like post-secondary. I mean, that's just an example. That was what Doug put in his email. Oh, post-secondary students are the number one problem area. But this is, to me, I think we're, we're speaking the same language in that there are specific groups that anecdotally you're, you're speaking about. We also have data about what communities 
where the uptake of vaccines are is happening and where it is not. So focus our energies, focus the the dollars, the promotion, the the marketing, you know, the different sites. So we are actually targeting those locations and those folks. Um, so to me, I feel like we're saying the same thing, but maybe our approach. Well, it's of- fine. I, I I think. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. I didn't mean to. I think I was done. I think I feel I feel like some. I, quite honestly, just speak frankly. I think that a lot of people right now are, are would love to poke holes in anything that this government does. I mean, Wally right now in our live chats, right? Wally says, I think that this is a good idea. And if another party came up with the idea, they'd be they'd be lauded for it. I think people are trying to. Oh, this is why some of us would make lousy politicians, because quite frankly, friends, I say this in love. Uh, but I think a lot of people are trying to overcomplicate this. Why overcomplicate it? There's three stages, three grabs for a million bucks. And if you're vaccinated by the time that draw is made and if you've registered online, then you could be in or to win. I mean, to me, I hope that it bumps up our numbers by 10 or 15 percent. I think that that would be great. I guess time will tell. We'll see. We'll see what it does. Yeah, I agree. I I hope. I mean, I really wish that we didn't have to get to this point and we didn't we didn't have to get to this point. Sure. But I mean, and and, and sure. and, And but here we are. And, right? and I like point taken. Yeah, I don't want to be like, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and and yada yada. Like, yes, absolutely. But I also don't want to um, avoid or negate the fact that th- <laughs> we didn't have to be here. But we are here. You know, I agree with you. But we are here. And so now it's a question of what do we do about it? Mm-hmm. You know, Joe on the live chat says as far as ucp ideas go this one isn't their worst (laughs) so joe says but the bar is pretty low patrick says i'd rather have a three million dollar lottery uh or whatever you want to call it people want to call it a raffle or whatever you want to call it Uh, i'd rather have that he says than spending that much on hospital beds and icu you know because of covid genevieve says wouldn't more prizes be more appealing maybe a half mil a piece or 200 grand spread the love sure well, I just think like one million dollars is such a great. I mean, it's just a it's an easy one. Sure. I mean, we could pick it apart. You know, should should we do 30 prizes of 100 grand inside? I'm just like so proud of myself that I was able to do that math on the fly. And I'm just desperately hoping that it's correct. And some random guy says I jump back and forth in support or opposition to the lottery. You're probably not alone. I mean, may, maybe I'd be the same way. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll hear some compelling cases later on. And maybe I'll change my mind. But right now, I don't mind it. I think whatever gets people stuck. What do you want to call it? Jabbed, pricked, whatever you want to call it. That to me works. Scott says, you do talk about these communities, these groups that we're experiencing vaccine hesitance. Says, what about people who watch Joe Rogan? Yeah, probably people who watch or listen to Joe Rogan for medical advice should probably find a physician. Right. One of our listeners, I don't know who it is, but someone said, you know, Ryan, the, the, the plural of anecdote is not data, which is fair, which is why I acknowledge when I'm sharing an anecdote, I say this is anecdotal. But but really, does somebody want to dig their heels? I mean, the, the caveat that I just issued. The anecdotal note was that I think that in certain communities, there's significant vaccine hesitance, and one of those is among evangelicals. I will have that conversation all day long, all day long. Because it's that to me has been one of the fascinating storylines. People are I mean, I I won't write a book on this someday. I would love to do a documentary on this someday of the last five years and and what has happened specifically in the United States, but not just uh, the state of evangelical Christianity. Two things, I think the presidency of Donald Trump 
and the response to COVID-19. I just think the damage that has been done to the reputation and the brand of evangelicalism, that's another story for another day. A real talk documentary. Well, but in all seriousness, like, you know, I'm not sure if people know this, but like, you know, real talk is the flagship program of our company, Relay Communications. And I will absolutely have all day for conversations on producing feature length documentaries. That's something I'd really like to do. I've always wanted to shoot a doc. I'm in. Yeah, you're in. Love it. it. Well, I just think that I think that that's a I think that that's a story that begs to be told. And I think that. I mean, people people are writing books on that, and I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation. This is not an attack on Christianity. This is not an attack on God. This is not an attack on your faith or your right to practice your faith. But some things to me are undeniable, and we have witnessed that there. We're going to talk to a family doc, uh, Dr. Kathy Dabris, in just a second. Uh, she's participated. She is participating in a campaign called Victoria Family Doctors Counter Vaccine Hesitancy. That's coming up in just a a second. First, I wanted to remind you about powered.ca. This is an amazing program launched by Athabasca University. It is entirely online, on demand learning. Your opportunity to broaden your skill set, your opportunity to set yourself up for job market reinvention. They've got courses like Digital Wellness 101. We've talked about that in past. Allyship and inclusion, AI and machine learning. I mean, you, you have to go check out the website to learn more about the offerings there. PowerEd.ca. Some of these courses, two, three hours. You don't have to clear a week or a month to prepare yourself for future success and just broaden your level of understanding. It's Power Ed by Athabasca University. Also, a big shout out to the team at Campers Village. We told you just last week how thrilled we were to onboard them as Real Talk Builders. You know, Albertans, Canadians have been going to Campers Village for years for all of their camping needs. But did you know they're not just about camping campers village is all about getting outdoors so whether that's your family doing car camping backcountry camping whether it's a day at the lake or the cabin or maybe even gear for your own backyard visit campers village you can find them two stores in edmonton one store in calgary and online at campers-village.com they ship across canada most orders over 49 bucks ship for free at campers village Dr. Kathy Dabris is a family physician uh, with the Victoria Division of Family Practice in a beautiful Vancouver Island. Uh, has been involved, the doctor has, in full-service family practice in Victoria since 1989. Past president of the local chapter of the Federation of Medical Women and a clinical instructor in the UBC Island Medical Program. Doctor, thanks so much for making time for us and, and a good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You bet. We, we, we've been buzzing a little bit here just as a you know, a light chatter about this incentive from the Alberta government. And, and we've seen these, as mentioned, in Manitoba and other jurisdictions as well. Down in the U.S., they're giving away cash and guns and all kinds of things uh, to people who get their first or second doses of the COVID-19 vaccine at a surface level or we can dive in as deep as you like. Are these campaigns a good idea? Do you think they're effective? I think whatever gets vaccines into patients' arms is what what, what we need to do. At at the Victoria Division of Family Practice, we're recognizing that uh, in our community, the vaccination rate is currently at about 75%. 
which sounds really good. And yet on, uh, on my, from my perspective, I'm going one in four people uh, do not have not taken the opportunity to get a vaccination. And certainly when I'm chatting with my patients during the day, about every fourth patient, when I ask them, have you had your COVID vaccination, um, kind of stumbles a little bit and says, no, I'm not sure it's the right thing for me. So we certainly still have a lot of vaccine hesitancy in the community. And uh, we certainly want to get at all aspects of that. And there are many different ways of doing that. Doctor, I'm, I'm grateful that you've, uh, you know, agreed to join us here. We're going to be keeping an eye on our live chat for people that are watching us live on YouTube right now, plus monitoring our hashtag Real Talk RJ. And, and we'll have some questions, I'm sure, coming in from audience members about vaccines and sort of up to the minute type stuff like, like you know, the two different manufacturers for the two different doses. That interesting storyline that surfaced a while ago. Generally speaking, when you're talking to people that have not yet been vaccinated, I would, I would imagine you're hearing a myriad of reasons why. Are you are you detecting any common themes? And if so, do you think those could be addressed? Yeah. So one of uh, a couple of common themes, one is that uh, people seem to have some concern about potentially about the safety of the, of the vaccines kind of going forward because they go, well, they're a new vaccine. It's a it's a new technology. I'm kind of worried about that. But uh, uh, when I speak to people, I let them know that vaccine technology, actually our understanding of how vaccines work started in the 1700s. So this is nothing brand brand new. In the beginning, we used to actually immunize the entire people by taking a part of the entire virus and uh, putting it into the system and making you know hoping it wouldn't um, make you sick but give you give you that that immunity but over the last several hundred years we've been able to refine the vaccine technology to get to the point where we know that we can get to the smallest particle that will uh, induce immunity for people and a way of knowing that that immunity can last a very long time so not just making you immune for a few weeks but but giving that longer term immunity and that's part of where we have these um, two dose vaccine schedules um, because we, we we understand kind of how to get that that longer term immunity. I've got an interesting comment here from The Watcher who says, I think at this point there should be negative consequences for non vaccination as opposed to positive consequences for vaccination. This is an interesting one. I mean, we're, we're, we're hearing conversations about what certain workplaces may be doing. People have implications. Obviously, they're looking at when it comes to international travel or, or, or otherwise. Uh, people are talking about things like vaccine passports, etc. Where do you land on that? What's appropriate? What you think would be effective and, and what you think maybe the future should look like? The biggest risk or the biggest downside of not getting vaccinated with COVID vac with a COVID vaccination is getting sick with COVID-19 and dying. That's your that's your big potential consequence. If you're sort of thinking um, beyond myself, there are so uh, you know beyond the individual scope, uh, we do see so many patients who are on cancer chemotherapy. They've uh, had transplants. I have many of my patients come to me regularly, really fearful about people who are not getting vaccinated. They've had their vaccines, but we know the vaccines may not take as effectively in our cancer uh, immune suppressed patients, our 
transplant patients and things like that. So for them, it, the world is still a pretty scary place when you're when they're around people that are not immunized. But but the the big message for if you are not immunized, the biggest risk to you is to get COVID nineteen and to die from that. I, I hate to say it, doctor, because you're absolutely right, and that should be enough of an incentive. But for a lot of people, probably the, the entire reason that they're not getting vaccinated is because they don't take COVID nineteen seriously. Is there a certain element of the population that we're just never going to reach? I mean, do we have to look at that and, and consider that to be some sort of a, I don't know, to use an accounting phrase, you just write that off? I mean, how do you address that? I think we address it in kind of a, a multi-prong effect. Certainly there has been the public health mes- messaging and shows such as this, which try and answer people's questions. I do encourage people uh, in our community. We have a number of people who don't have a regular family doctor, but your family doctor will know your regular, your health, your personal health risks uh, and know what's going on in your, in your community. In, in BC, uh, we have a, a number of patients who don't have a family doctor. So we've developed the Pathways Medical Care Directory uh, online that will link people to a family doctor to discuss their individual and personal risks. So the, a multi-pronged approach certainly works. You know, when we're looking at assisting people with quitting smoking, there is no one size fit all, fits all. The motivation for each person is a little bit different, but certainly working with your own family doctor, not being afraid to talk to them about what your concerns are. Uh, we, we don't judge people for not having had a vaccination, we're actually deeply concerned and want to actually get at what is at the heart of that concern there. And is there a way we can work through that, work with that to get to the other side of feeling safe and having a vaccine and then being safe in your community? Yeah, a friend of mine got vaccinated only because he's made it very clear only because he has to to be able to travel to see the woman that he loves. And my opinion on that is I don't care if he's ever 100 percent on board on believing everything. I don't care the reason why he got vaccinated. I'm just happy that he did get vaccinated i don't think we i mean I'm, i've got all the time in the world for people i said to a friend over the weekend over text we're going back and forth and i said i don't i don't think that vaccine hesitancy is is automatic reason to pile on anybody as a matter of fact i think for a lot of people being hesitant around this vaccine is entirely understandable uh, people are trying to wrap their minds around something that's that's been developed in a relatively short period of time i don't think it's been rushed but i think it's been expedited but I think it's OK to have questions about these types of things. And I think if we if we act as though we don't need to address people's concerns or have segments like this, thanks to you being willing to share your expertise, then, then I think it could come across as a little bit shady. I've got time for these conversations. That's why we have them. Exactly. So most uh, I can tell you that family doctors are very interested in getting all of their patients immunized. We're in the business of patient safety and and we want all of our patients to be safe and to be immunized. And uh, on an individual basis, we're able to address not only their health concerns, but perhaps their psychological concerns in terms of, of safety for vaccine and able to look at resources we may have online in our community. One of my patients, you know, had a concern. Someone had mentioned to them that they were, that perhaps this vaccine may bring out uh, some epilepsy symptoms. And so, you know, as a family doctor, I knew where to look for reliable information in terms of the Epilepsy Foundation of America, the Epilepsy Foundation of Canada to, to get the information, even speaking to one of our local neurologists who was able to assure us that COVID vaccination has no 
no association with that. So we want to um, have a trusted individual to be able to dispel some of the myths, but also to go to um, trusted uh, um, resources to be able to get the answers for you. So it's okay to have questions about things, but the person to talk to is your family doctor because they understand your specific situation. And as I say, we're very interested. We're in the business of keeping people well. Uh I, I, I'm I'm very conscious, doctor, and I'm very aware that I've said to you five or six times here, I've got a buddy that or I was talking to a friend about. But these are just real life conversations. These are conversations that have actually happened. And, and this is how my worldview somewhat is being shaped. Right. We're, our, our view is shaped by the people around us. Uh, this this friend of mine is, is a courageous and incredible young woman who. Uh, has has bravely battled cancer and has used some unconventional and untraditional methods to fight that cancer, which has given her a certain type of confidence. And she claims that her family doctor has told her that she should not get the vaccine. Um, I leave that alone. Um, I was not in the room, the examining room. I find it hard to believe. Is there anybody that should not be getting vaccinated, in your opinion? So I can't comment on that specific situation because, of course, there'll be very specific details. But um, uh, we are vaccinating uh, everybody, our transplant patients. We are expediting um, referrals in case of possible allergy. So uh, currently, even people who are allergic to certain components of the vaccine, we are expediting um, consultations with allergists to mitigate that risk of allergy. So it doesn't mean you, even if you have potentially an allergic reaction, we can pre-medicate you if we know ahead of time that you're going to have this exposure and manage you through that medically so that you can safely have the vaccine. So uh, I'd have to say off uh, in general, uh, I don't know of any contraindication to the to the vaccine or meaning a person who should not have the vaccine. That being said, it is an individual conversation if there are those kinds of concerns between the patient and their own physician uh, in terms of what their own personal risks are. But by and large, by and large, we can work around anything that you're worried about in terms of having vaccination from allergy to reaction to long term kinds of risks. Um, you know, for, for many patients, they look to uh, a question they ask me is, well, would you do this? And it's kind of like, absolutely done both my shots mm. and, uh, and uh, excited to get both of those shots. And so is our family practice community and every physician in the community and all of our medical practitioners in the hospital, just like excited about the day that they can get their, their second shot and things like that. So sometimes people are, are worried about uh, their own situation. Sometimes people are feeling, you know what, I don't actually have to do this. You know, I'm kind of off the hook because we'll probably have herd immunity. So, you know, there'll be enough, there's enough people vaccinated that I'll be okay. But but um, the borders will open. And in the United States, we have a 60% vaccination rate. Uh, we saw how quickly this uh, virus traveled around the world in a matter of weeks. It is a very fast traveler. So as our borders open and we have variants coming or, or um, the virus coming from other parts of the world, uh, I know right now in our own little communities, we actually feel quite safe, but the world will open up and you will have continued 
continued exposures for years to come. I have a sense from some patients that they feel it's just going to go away. But but this is a global issue. And if you go to other parts of the world in Asia, the vaccine is, I mean, the um, virus is rampant and will continue to be until we have two shots in everybody's arms. And so, uh, again, we've kind of been through a year, year and a half of managing things here and we are doing well, but good may not be good enough in terms of protecting our community from subsequent waves because this is a global issue. Doctor, we've got some great questions here from viewers, from listeners, people tuning in live on the Mixler audio app. Uh, Lala Zaz is watching on YouTube, says there's this big batch of Moderna that's coming in just in time for second doses. Those of us who hit the big batch of Pfizer on the first dose. But Lala Zaz says, but I don't want to mix. We've received word that mixing the vaccines, mixing manufacturers is is cool. Public yeah. health authorities are saying, don't worry about it. Are you confident in that message? Yes, I'm confident in, in that message. The, the, the research and the trials have been done. What we see is when you switch vaccines, that there may actually even be a subtle advantage because your immune system is um, being primed in two different ways to give it maybe a little bit more of a broader immunity towards, towards the uh, coronavirus. Uh, we do see for some people, uh, if they have a little bit of fatigue or achiness after their first shot, they're like likely to have some fatigue or achiness after their after their second shot. And it may be maybe 10, 20% more if you've done uh, a second shot with a, with a, with a different brand of vaccine. Uh, that being said, uh, they are both creating immunity for you and uh, very robust immunity. And, and the studies have been there. The neat thing is that, is that there, you know, sometimes when we do studies, it's trouble, have trouble recruiting people in to do a study, but th- th- our, our group of people who are potential candidates for these studies are every person in the world, every person who's willing to contribute. So I am so grateful to those people who said, I know we haven't done this before. Give me a shot from a different one and uh, let, let's see what happens and look at my antibody levels and watch my reactions. And and uh, we've seen that it's very safe to do that. Uh, Dr. Kathy Dabris, our guest. We have a, a question here uh, submitted by way of our hashtag Real Talk RJ from Alicia. Alicia, thanks for tuning in, says how protected are people under 12 under 12 years of age, if those around them are fully vaccinated, will this help prevent infection, reduce symptoms or uh, create a scenario where COVID will target and circulate through this population? That from Alicia, who says she'll be catching your answer later today when she downloads the podcast. Yeah, so we are, uh, children seem to be a little bit different. As you've know, uh, been aware kind of from media reports, very few children are hospitalized for your classic COVID infection, but they do uh, react in a little bit of a different way with this multi-system inflammation. We're also still studying children to learn a little bit uh, about how their respiratory system captures and reacts with the coronavirus vaccine with the coronavirus, which seems to be actually a little bit different. Again, it's you, you quite surprising in some ways that because we normally think of young children as little cesspools of, of infection and colds and things like that, yet the coronavirus behaves quite differently in them. So it really is under study, but 
to have an understanding that that the receptors that catch the virus in children are different and how their body reacts to it is different and and that's the situation where there are such smaller numbers we're still in research and short, sorting that part of stuff 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 out but it is ongoing. So if you think of how far we have come in the last year in terms of our understanding of the virus and the variants and how it spreads and developing vaccines, please stay tuned. Um, things uh, will be updated as soon as the data becomes available and, and it's a, an evolving kind of thing. So I don't have a hard and fast answer, um, but it is definitely being worked on right now. What about those under 12s and how they react differently to the virus? Yeah, Doc, you may have touched on this already. I just want to clarify We've got a couple of audience members that are curious to know if you think that this vaccine will ultimately be like an annual thing, or if you require boosters, or if once you're double vaxxed or fully vaccinated, as they say, uh, is that it? Uh, time will tell. Right now, uh, as they test the new variants that are coming around, it, it appears that our vaccines, if you get the two doses of vaccine, give you very robust immunity. But it has continued to evolve over the last year. And so it's really hard to crystal ball. How will things go over the next year? There definitely is new variants emerge. We'll be testing to see are our vaccines still effective? The good news has been, yes, they continue to be effective against the variants that we have seen so far. Uh, but I can't completely protect the future. It may be possible that the vaccines will need to be slightly reformulated based on variants. But um Time will tell on that one, but we know where we're at now, that that our vaccines are protecting against the circulating variants that are uh, in Canada right now. I know that scientists have, have been warning that, uh, you know, this highly contagious Delta variant could be Alberta's primary strain by late June. Um, obviously would be of concern to people here. Kaylin's watching our show, just a short ferry ride from you out of Vancouver. She's wondering if you could comment on this Delta variant. She, she wonders how safe are we even with our double vaccination and should we be reopening given this information what's your opinion on this delta variant so the delta variant is uh very concerning because we have seen that uh, with one vaccine, you get about 30% protection. With the second vaccine given, you go closer up to 90% protection. So again, the big message here is get both of your vaccines. Going part way gives only part way results and shorter lasting results. You really need that second vaccine in order to boost the immunity and maintain long-term memory antibodies uh, to hold that immunity. And our hope is if we get everyone when vaccinated and we shut down transmission, we have less, fewer new variants becoming available. It's when there's rapid transmission, that's when you have uh, the, the virus mutating and changing. So again, the strength of this message is get both your shots as soon as you can. It will protect you and your community. I've got an email from Lauren who says, Ryan, please don't use my last name. We've not yet informed our family, she says, but I am in my first trimester. Uh, congratulations to Lauren. Uh, she says, I'm expecting and I'm getting mixed messages, she says, or at least getting mixed information on whether or not it's safe for her to get vaccinated. What, what, what's your word to, to those that are with child, so to speak? speak so um initially uh you know when something uh new comes out we don't test it automatically in in pregnant people uh 
But through the course of the last year, people have been pregnant, not realized they were pregnant, been immunized. And we've seen that the vaccine, as we get those case studies building up, we're seeing we're not seeing complications from having vaccinations. We are seeing complications from getting COVID in pregnancy. Recent studies have actually shown for uh, whooping cough and um, influenza that if the mother gets uh, immunized with those vaccines during pregnancy, she boosts the immunity for her child in their first year of life, offering them more protection. So the mother makes the antibodies for the baby and as the baby is born, has those antibodies in place, at least for the first part of life to protect them. So if you wanted to protect yourself from a complications in pregnancy, if you want to protect your one year, your baby that's born and in the first while of their life, protect them from COVID, get immunized during pregnancy. I was uh, I grew up in Calgary and it was always a really exciting time of year when the red flags would go up on all the uh, lampposts and all the light standards, those classic, iconic Calgary stampede flags. And you knew when the flags went up that the stampede was just weeks away. Um, I was in Calgary yesterday passing through on my way back up to Edmonton and I saw the red flags in an entirely new context, this time as literal red flags. I have very mixed feelings uh, about no, I don't have mixed feelings about the stampede going on. I'm one of those that wants to see us move on from this pandemic. I'm very eager to get I'm a professional live event host. I love being in front of 20,000 people. Trust me. But I'm also concerned about a super spreader event, this Delta variant, which is really exploding down in Calgary four times, three, four times the number of cases as opposed to a week ago. Do you think that there's any possible way that the Calgary stampede can be rolled out safely? Or do you have concern that this could create a problem that might last for another number of months? Uh, whenever we get a large group of people together uh, and you have a certain proportion unimmunized, uh, there is a concern for for uh, a lot of people getting infected. Uh, I must say I'm not an expert uh, in terms of coming from a family practice background. I'm generally working with individual people. So in terms of policies or, or actual public health risks, um, you know, globally, I'm afraid I can't uh, comment on that. Um, but I would encourage anyone who is thinking of going to attend the Calgary Stampede, uh, especially with the Delta variant circulating, uh, make sure you have had both of your vaccines. Yeah, let me ask. Yeah, let me circle back and ask you this. You just said this is what your patients ask you. And I would be one of those patients if you were my doctor. I'd say, what would you do or what would you tell your family members if you you do have both your shots, doctor, uh, if you were offered an opportunity and, you know, somebody wants to fly you out on a tourism junket, bring you to the Calgary Stampede, show you all the cool stuff. You get to see, you know, the infield and the rodeo and all that types of stuff, you know, all those types of things. Would you go? Uh, I would not go because the vaccine we know is not uh, 100% protection. You still need to use your other layers of common sense and social distancing uh, and things like that. And for me in particular, uh, I consider my responsibility to my patients as well. I have immune suppressed patients who I'll be seeing um, can- cancer chemotherapy patients. And so just the message is you have a you have responsibility to yourself and your family to keep yourself well. If you can think beyond that, there are members of our community who, in spite of 
doing public health measures and having both both vaccines themselves, they know they're going to continue to be at risk of this deadly virus. And those, again, are our um, cancer chemotherapy patients and our transplant patients. So so we have to think uh, not just of ourselves, but others within our community. And I'm sure someone would feel bad if they, you know, um, uh, got sick themselves, but even worse if they got um, uh, uh, had someone who was immune suppressed or on their cancer chemotherapy, perhaps doing well and recovering from their cancer, but they were exposed to COVID through you and passed away from that. Yeah, to say the least. We'll make this our last question, doctor. We've got to let you get back to your practice, obviously. Michelle, um, chiming in from central Alberta, Michelle at a beautiful Rocky Mountain house, wonder said, we talked about infertility concerns as a side effect. She says it's a common concern. I know it's been debunked, but people still think that there's a heightened risk here for people. You know, unlike Lauren, who's in her first trimester and very excited about that. What about people that are trying to get pregnant? Is infertility a risk they run? So, uh, uh, um, again, not an expert in, in this particular area, but as a family doctor, um, uh, the information that I have is that, again, these vaccines do not affect fertility. We have had some women notice a change in their menstrual cycle. So it might be a little bit earlier, a little bit lighter, a little bit heavier, a bit crampier. Um, but there hasn't been any concerns that it's affecting fertility. Okay. Uh, Dr. Kathy Debris, uh out of uh, Victoria, BC, beautiful part of the country, obviously, Victoria family doctors counter vaccine hesitancy. We're so appreciative, uh, not just of your time, but of your expertise as well, Doc. Thanks for this. Thanks for having me. And I just want to tell all your listeners, please go out there and get both your vaccines, not just for yourself, but for your community as well. I love it. Thanks, doctor. And I'll double down on that. I saw a comment here. Where was it? I'll, I'll try to scroll back and find it. Somebody said, I, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I, you know, my whole thing, like I'm going to get vaccinated. I'll just instead of trying to find it, I'll just summarize. But an audience member just said, you know, basically, I get it and I'm going to get the vaccine. But but if somebody else doesn't want to get it, you know, then that's their choice. That's their right. Nobody should have to get the vaccine. Um, and to a certain degree, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think that that would be absolutely unacceptable in any circumstance really i mean i can't a global pandemic to me is just about the most extreme circumstance and so i think that that's kind of the high bar there and 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 i can't imagine uh any reality where it would be appropriate or acceptable or 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 unconcerning uh, if a government were to mandate medical treatment or vaccines and i and i understand that people have the right and the freedom to say thanks but no thanks and that is your choice. And I would support your choice there in the sense that you're right. I think it's the wrong choice personally. And if you say, well, I don't give a shit about what you think, Jesperson, then that's perfectly fine. You don't have to and you're not obligated to. However, people aren't obligated to allow you to enter their restaurants, to enter their workplaces, to enter their aircraft, to enter their hotels, to enter their arenas or anywhere else, anything else. I mean, you can make the choice to not do something. That is your right. But it doesn't mean that you are entitled or that you retain the right or the freedom to insert yourself into every social setting without getting on board. I'd be curious to know from people what workplaces are doing and what policies are in place. You know, I'd be curious to know from people where the support is at. This could be another Twitter told Twitter poll that we could run and another unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll on on where the appetites at for businesses, 
private or otherwise, saying if you're not vaccinated, we're not doing business with you. And that's our right. And I would support that, too. I heard a story over the weekend that was very concerning about a family that decided to travel over the Christmas break. They went down south to a sunny locale. This is a prominent family, by the way, in southern Alberta. They took the rapid test on the way back, complied with it. They've been loudly using their platform as 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 very, uh, you know, what do I say? <laughs> they have strong feelings about mask regulations, about the validity of this whole COVID-19 thing, you know, about vaccines, these types of things. They traveled south. They came back, did the rapid testing. Just under the two-week window after that, little guy gets sick and causes an outbreak in their small community. Their choice to travel became everybody's problem. And, and that's where I have the issue. There's a lot of talk about rights and freedoms right now, but, but you know, your rights and freedoms end where mine begin. Right? And these are the types of things I think that we need to focus on. You're right. You don't have to get the vaccine and nobody can force you to do it. And I don't think that we want to live in a society where that type of thing would happen. As a matter of fact, that would be terrifying. But at the same time, there's going to be trade-offs. And in my mind, those should be unapologetic. Always open to what you have to say on this. Always, <laughs> Nadine says, oh, just name them, will ya? Nah. BG Video Game says, what he's trying to say is that you have the right to make your own choices, but all choices have consequences good choice good consequence bad choice bad consequence blake says my family is is all on the smart side (laughs) i like the swagger Uh, either double vaccinated already or getting it the workplace has already stated you know we can offer the info but it's nobody's business if we're vaccinated or not hmm I don't know if I'm going to be showing up to a workplace. I mean, hey, listen, we are a workplace. We have we have this tight little team of three. We've not we've not had this conversation, but I think that's because everybody's been pretty open and vocal about where they're at and what their track record has looked like or what their intentions are. I don't really know how I'd manage it if, for example, Sarah Hoyles, you come on the team and, and, and it turns out three weeks in. I didn't make it one of the interview questions when you were interviewing for this gig i didn't ask you how you felt about vaccines but quite frankly i don't know what i would do if you said you weren't getting vaccinated we we'd have to figure something out yeah and the thing that uh, and maybe this is i'm just gonna do it um the i'm starting to sound like you ryan yeah i'm I'm not gonna if you're like me you say i'm not gonna and then you do it and then you do it yeah um so when i think about it i think of it as it like a, a sexually transmitted infection an sti so if if someone is not going to disclose, that's taking someone else's health into their own hands. So if someone doesn't disclose uh, that they have uh, an infection of some sort, they are deciding for their partner or partners, um, their future health ongoing. Hmm. And so to me, that's, that is bold and unfair that you would you would decide on behalf of someone that you know or don't know um, what their health will be in perpetuity. But this, but this is all about selfishness, right? 
Yes. I mean, it, and and here's where I want to be careful, where I, where I clarify what I said to a friend earlier, which is that I, I don't think that vaccine hesitancy is inherently unhealthy or irresponsible. I don't. I don't blame people for having questions. It's great to have questions. I mean, question everything. It's why we bring on experts. It's why we have these types of segments that, like we just had with Dr. Debris. And, and so that's perfectly fine. But I think that and, and so I'm not calling the vaccine hesitant selfish. But I certainly will invoke that word selfish for others. I mean, like, you know, the, the prominent mental wealth coach out of Edmonton, this guy that saw his Instagram followers explode and everybody thought he should come on this show to to share his thoughts on how being physically fit can protect you from COVID-19 and all these types of things. Absolutely zero medical background, absolutely zero credibility to be talking about vaccines and virology. It's pure selfishness, right? Let's let's uh, sequester or, or let's let's isolate the seniors in society. Let's 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 lock them down so the rest of society can perfectly function. Or let's not concern ourselves with COVID-19 deaths because the majority of them come with comorbidities, it's the first time any of these people have ever invoked the word comorbidities. Ask them to spell it. I doubt they could. But all they know is that if someone dies with a comorbidity, it's a, it's a justifiable death. Ah, they were weakened by their chemotherapy or they had diabetes or they're immunocompromised or they had asthma as a child. I mean, these are comorbidities. Well, I've heard that the majority of fatalities from COVID-19, the majority of those that we lost had comorbidities. So let's not concern ourselves with the rest of us without comorbidities. It's pure selfishness. It's not being able to see beyond or outside your own realm. I mean, why do you think that people are pissed about the premier and senior cabinet ministers dining on the Sky Palace Terrace? It's because it comes across as selfish and entitled. That's what rubs people the wrong way. Do as I say, not as I do. So that's where I think the conversation needs to go. You know, I'm going to have to ask Mishif Sharon. Is it Sharon Mishif or is it Mishif Sharon? I'm probably mispronouncing the name. I apologize. I see you chiming in all the time on the live chat and I'm grateful. Mishif says it also comes from a place of privilege. Sure. Another says it's a selfish province. Thus, you know, conservative politics for decades and decades. It's a party of you keep yours and I'll keep mine. I think it's part of a. I just want to issue the caveat: not all conservatives, but carry on. <laughs> Fair enough. I, to me, it's it's actually broadening the lens, and saying about, and I mean, the doctor that we just spoke with um, out of Victoria definitely referenced it about getting reputable sources of information, and so there's this piece of like critical thinking, and I think it goes back to our other guest that we had today about curriculum, like. How do we learn about critical thinking? How are we taught that? How are we learned to decipher and um, metabolize information and like run it through? And so to me, when you speak of that uh, wellness expert or whatever he calls himself. Um, a mental wealth coach. There we go. <laughs> expert is too generous of a term. Uh, that's, uh, it's about being able to decipher but then I also know then that gets loaded with, oh, so you are elitist, Sarah. 
you're saying that I need to have post-secondary education. Is that what you're saying, Sarah? So all these other people are not. So it, it's divisive, divisive, divisive. Um, whereas it's just, it's actually about data and resp- and not getting your information from Facebook. Um I, I don't know that this is true, and I and and Greg has been a, a good source of us for verified information in the past. So I, I'm I'm going to assume he's bang on on this, but he says that uh, Syncrude is retire is requiring vaccinations for its workers. So that's one workplace, Syncrude, that is requiring vaccinations. Alyssa says if workplaces can make random drug testing a function of employment, they can certainly make vaccines mandatory. Don't like it. Get another job. Bang on, Alyssa. I 100 percent agree with you. Nadine says private businesses have the right to refuse service. Absolutely. I mean, then, then you're getting into a big, messy type scenario. You know, the the homophobe baker that doesn't want to bake the, the gay couple the wedding cake. I mean, we, we can get into that. And if somebody wants to run this up to the Supreme Court, maybe they could if the court will hear it. I'd be curious to see where that would go. Who was it? One of our audience members said, you know, this is Chelsea said, I don't think that people should be required to disclose their personal health information. Like, in other words, to prove. In other words, to prove that they've been vaccinated. I don't know. I mean, I know that having traveled internationally, you have to you absolutely have to get vaccinated to enter certain countries. I had to get a whole bunch of shots to go to Ethiopia. I had to get a whole bunch of shots to go to South America. Yeah, me too. It's that's like a, same, same. That's that's uh, that's a, that's just you have a, fact. a little you have a you have a little passport. You get the yeah. little booklet. There's like a certain amount of time that you need to take before you're actually just like just like the covid vaccines. Yeah, just like. So, I mean, you know, it might be one of those types of things where you say, you know, you you don't necessarily have to prove or you don't have to demonstrate to, to address Chelsea's concern. You don't have to disclose your personal health information, but if you're not willing to disclose whether or not you're vaccinated, I'm not willing to provide you this service. Now, very good and fair questions. People say, well, how, how are you going to prove that you've been vaccinated? Right. I mean, I, I know that people get the sheets and everything. I don't exactly carry mine around. I'm pretty sure I, I know where it is. Pretty sure. I mean, which would be a, an incredible accomplishment considering all the piles of paper that follow me around. But still, should there be these types of passports? You know, some idiot's going to make some comment about a, you know, a, a yellow star on the armband. I'm sure that some idiot's going to make those types of comments. Some idiots already have. And I see that some some folks are saying, hey, we didn't get around to this or we didn't ask the doctor about that. And, and my apologies, we had limited time. We obviously had to let her get back to her practice and we can continue having these types of conversations as they come. I wanted to let you know this is our first uh, day of our broadcast week, which means our new question of the week is up. And I'm really excited about this one. So you go to RyanJesperson.com and right at the top of the page, you're going to see the link to our question of the week. In this upcoming municipal election, this fall, this October, there's a chance it is happening. There's a chance that Alberta's government, the United Conservatives, will put forward a referendum question that asks Albertans if the commitment to equalization payments should be taken out of the referendum, should be taken out of the Constitution, is what that's supposed to say. The idea being that Alberta has been getting the shaft on equalization and it needs to be amended. This is not a legally binding referendum question meaning that the federal government does not have to acknowledge or take action on the results. And of course it wouldn't, nor are they likely to otherwise a great deal of federal policy would be delivered via the referendum results of a single province in this week's get real question of the week. We thought we would start by asking you the exact question that will appear on your municipal ballot. And we thought maybe we'd save the province some money. 
after that, we have some lighthearted follow-up questions that we would love to hear your opinion on. I expect that this question of the week presented by our official research and strategy partners at Y Station is going to make the rounds. I expect that we're going to have a good number of respondents here, and I'm curious to see where you real talkers will land on the value of this referendum question tomorrow live at 915 Mountain, 1115 Eastern, right here on Real Talk. Of course, if you're grabbing the podcast later in the day, thank you for that. You can catch it at your convenience. We will be talking about equalization. We're going to be digging into this with Professor Trevor Toome, the economist out of the University of Calgary, and I think that's going to be a great conversation. But but this will give us some data. If we can get a good sample, I mean, if we can get more than 1,000 people answering this one, which I don't think is going to be a big deal. I'm going to gun for 2,000 on this because I think it's going to make the rounds online. I want to see a good number of people respond to this and let us know what you think about the value of this referendum question on trying to get the equalization formula that, that Stephen Harper and Jason Kenney and the others authored. Let's not forget who is responsible for this equalization formula on getting that amended. And so we'll look for your opinions on that. You can answer that question again at RyanJesperson.com. Just look for the question of the week. Also, the first day of our broadcast week, each and every week, we Thanks to our friends at Kubi Energy, focus on the positives. Now, you know that Kubi is a Tesla certified solar installer. You know that they've got teams working across Western Canada right now on projects large and small. You may want to run solar panels into your garden shed or, or maybe your cabin is off the grid, but you want to finally bring some electricity in. Heck, maybe you've got a big, huge office tower and you want to know what the future of solar and sustainable energy looks like as the world moves towards net zero. Jake and his team at Kubi Energy have the answers. They can point to projects that they're currently working on or projects they've completed, like the Edmonton Convention Center, and give you a better sense of what's possible. You can visit them online at kubienergy.ca or, of course, find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. It is Tuesday following a real talk long weekend, which means the first day of our broadcast week brings, thanks to our friends at Kubi Energy, positive reflections. We're going to lead off with this one from Brad. Absolutely love this one. Brad sent us a video and an email to go along with it. He says, last Monday, I had the pleasure to celebrate the remission of my sister's breast cancer diagnosis. says Her name's Brandy and, and, and says she was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer back in February of 2020, just before the pandemic. He says, my heart sunk when I heard the news. I couldn't believe that a person who keeps herself in such great shape would receive that diagnosis. She was going into surgery the end of March to remove the tumor and the affected lymph nodes and, and, and then chemo and then radiation. And I knew that once this was all over, she'd have that strength and we'd do something we both love to celebrate that mile mark. My thought was to climb Canada's highest elevation paved road on our road bikes, an altitude of 2,202 meters, the Highwood Pass. He says this spring we purchased a used road bike for Brandy. Says there's shortages in the industry. Look at this. 
There she is on that bike. I just got chills right now. He says, Highwood Pass, Highway 40, closed to vehicle traffic from November 20th to June 15th, which means that cyclists from all levels are flocking to this road now that the snow is gone before the cars return. He says, the road is a treasure I have appreciated for many years, and I wanted to complete the ride with my sister absolutely amazing he says along the way we heard a few times from other cyclists that there were grizzly bears on the side of the road at different places we didn't see them unfortunately but we made it to the top of the pass in just over two hours feeling great took a few photos to mark the accomplishment and then back down to the vehicles it's been a hard year for us all but i can't imagine how hard it's been while fighting cancer i'm so proud of my sister to be able to be clear of all this in remission after the year he says keep up the great work with the show and positive reflections that from brad absolutely beautiful we love these photos and by the way if you're hearing this on the podcast we push out by way of our youtube channel real talk ryan jesperson positive reflections is a standalone segment so you can jump right to it and see what we're talking about this is from james james says i wanted to send in a couple photos of my kids my kids and our lilacs he says this is karen her name's firstborn that's what we call her and this is cameron cameron we call the boy he says this is where we find our joy the simple things in life and this is what brings peace to my heart that from james thanks for thinking of us and positive reflections with that james this is a photo that i snapped just this weekend the draw of those lilacs is is undeniable this is my little five-year-old this is wyatt rudy learning to climb fences and also learning that no despite how wonderful they smell you cannot pick lilacs from other people's trees okay maybe we grab just one but still don't pick other people's lilacs it's it's not cool i mean unless it's just one maybe just one but oh we're gonna hear about this big time aren't we hey a little guy developing a love for lilacs what can i say and finally this This is the selfish part of Positive Reflections this week. I just wanted to tell you what a wonderful weekend we had and share with you some photos from our Whelan adventure in beautiful Kananaskis country. This is McLean Creek, just west of Calgary. We were so lucky to get out there and spend a few days getting dirty. This is my little guy tracing pictures into the dusty trail. This is what childhood is all about. How about this? This is baby's first wheel. My brother Jonas, his wonderful wife Tammy, their daughter's parent, and Soleil. Soleil out on the trail for the very first time. And this, my friends, this is the parkland we protect. Regardless of your hobbies, we can all agree our parks are worth protecting and we get on board to take steps to do exactly that responsible together sharing the landscape we're so beautifully blessed to have in our very own backyard we wish you fresh air we wish you family time and ultimately in the context of what we've been talking about today we wish a quick return to that time when we can get together in larger groups hug again and say i love you face to face love you guys real talkers thanks for tuning in today make it a great tuesday we'll talk to you tomorrow live at 8 30 mountain time until then